Hello and welcome to another episode of Streaming Evil Live. Welcome. I just said welcome, didn't I? Oh, wow. Again, I botch it. I always botch it. I botch it. Um, no, this is exciting. This is what a milestone. We have reached 100 episodes of the Streaming Evil Live channel. And yes, that includes a lot of, you know, filler and, you know, kind of BS nonsense and whatnot. But we have officially done 100 episodes of this show. Uh, I'm feeling a little nostalgic. It feels like two decades ago, but it was really only two years ago, a little bit more than two years ago when we started, probably about two two years and three months ago. And uh, I just can't believe that we've actually reached 100. It's pretty, we've got quite the episode for you for 100, by the way. It's not, this is not a filler episode. This is uh this is this is going to be a good one, a real real good one. And we're going to be talking about some history that we've sort of touched upon a little bit but you know uh, not really and frankly part of the reason is because I'm not like you know I'm not I'm, I'm I think I'm more well versed on the older stuff than I am on this stuff. And what better way to, you know, dive through, explore whatever you want to call it, this history than with a guy who was there for all of it. I mean, it's like the best way to do it. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna bring him out in just a minute. He's waiting in our digital green room. I just again wanted to just wax for a minute on the fact that just that we've been doing this for so long and that we have like such a, a wonderful little community of people. Some it's like a it's like a way station. Some people come, people go, they come back. Um We've even lost a few. I'm thinking about uh, Chris Corkum. Shout out to Chris Corkum, R.I.P. Be Bo is is well taken care of, um, and uh, yeah, we just we just keep on doing it. It's very precious, very finite material that we have. Um, so instead of doing it every week now, we do it from time to time, and we've sort of expanded. We've expanded into so many different avenues. We talk about so many different topics on the channel. By the way, uh, if you enjoyed the return of the Living Dead novelization, I have news for you. I got a hold of all three Mad Max novelizations. And so we're going to be doing all three Mad Max novelizations on the channel. Uh, so if you don't, if you're, if you can't get a hold of they're they're very hard to get a hold of. They're basically out of print. So if you are too lazy to read and you just want to casually listen to a guy stumble over the text and bumble and curse a little bit while he's reading. Um, you've come to the right place. That We're going to do that on this channel. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. I've never read them. I don't know anything about the, well, I mean, I know a little bit, but um, I'm just, I'm very excited myself. So it'll be, it'll be some discovery for me as well. Let's, let's start off the episode the most proper way with the, the theme song that we uh, seldom use these days, uh, but it's time. It's time. So we're going to do that. Jeff is gonna talk about the Misfits right now He's a nerd about this stuff, obsessed anyhow Jeff never shuts his face, always needs to talk Might be shown some weight if he went out for a walk Do you think that he cares? He doesn't care He's not in ranch. Backstage. 
Oh, yeah, that's the way. That's how we do it. That's how you do it. Let's bring out our guest. He's been waiting in the green room. He is, uh, oh, God, what's this? What's the what's the saying? The twice as, what is it? Twice as large and just as ugly, something like that. I don't know. I'll have him correct me right now. He's going to. He's gonna he's gonna correct me as he as I bring him out. What is it? What is it? Jimmy the Tank, twice as lar- uh, larger than life and twice as ugly. Thank you. Larger than life, twice as ugly. We have the wait, Atola. The wait, uh, hang on. I I screwed up my intro. I I forgot that you put your glasses on, so I need to hang. Okay, now I'm ready. Yes! Let's, let's do this. Let me tell All you right, something. I, got- We've had, I love it. I love it. We have uh, Russell we Casualty. Show, right? Listen. Russell Casualty does it. Mr. Jim did it once. It was really funny. Uh, and now we've added you to you the list. It's, I just it's borrowed these from my 18-year-old son. That, that shows you how much class it. and, and style I, instilled I into it. him. Right. I love it. Love Actually, it, they hurt my it. nose. I, yeah, I bet they do. Those, those, those look like those are like Paul Stanley yes. glasses. Yes. They stab <laughs> into you. Um, dude. Let's let's also since this is a since this is a uh, anniversary episode of sorts of 100 streaming evil live shows. that much stupid shit to talk about I there it, no idea. yeah you know it's funny because Steve Zing uh, was at Steve Zing's uh, in his basement we were shooting the music video and he goes how many are you gonna he's like how many are you gonna do how how long can you talk about it for I mean come on <laughs> really. Beating a like, dead yeah, horse like, here. Come on. Yeah, like, come on. Like, you know, like, I mean, Jesus. Like, how how many times, you know, it was just, it was just so funny. I was like, Steve, I, I'm going to do it until I can't as long do as it they anymore. Okay. Um, let's give Tank a proper Danzig salute. Tank, be careful. This might be a little loud. Okay, I think my daughter's <laughs> awake now. I gotta go. Sorry, thanks. It's oh, good no. trip, folks. <laughs> I forgot. Tank I'm has a Tank has a seven month old daughter at home who probably just got woken up from this right? this uh this this din this racket. Nah, I've, I've I've been locked in the basement. I'm I'm relegated to the downstairs now. <laughs> it makes it makes perfect sense. Uh, right? I actually so I was just with Tank very recently. Yeah. We got to really sort of catch up at the uh, Mahoning Drive-in for. It, how many mads how many mads was it how many mads is it total four mad maxes okay it's a mad 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 mad, mad max, max two max two right uh, yeah second time we've done this right and um he gave he he uh him and Faye, who they the the two of them they organized this thing and they asked me they gave me the honor of of conducting the q and a's with Vernon Wells, which was it was it really was an honor for me, and it was such a, a treat. And I want to thank you. There, again there was there was actually I'm privilege. sorry, there was actually a mix up. I thought Faye said T and A, and I was like, oh, that's Jeff. He'll love to do that. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, I got the first letter wrong. So I'm sorry that you got roped into that. Really? Oh no, no, no. I it was it was wonderful, and those will be on the channel real soon. And I will tell oh. you, I ne- if you told me. If you told me like two weeks ago that I would ask Vernon Wells one of the questions that I asked him and mm-hmm. Tank, you know what I'm talking about in that second Q&A, mm-hmm. um, I never thought there would be a day where I would ask him yeah. a question like that. And I did. And it was hilarious. Look at you. Look at you now. Look at me. I had stuff. to I had to explain something to Vernon Wells. That was I mm-hmm. never thought I'd have to explain. And I did. And 
I thought I did the best job that I could, but it was a wonderful event. And, yeah. you know, you'll, you will see all about it. Keep your eyes peeled on this channel in two weeks time. It'll be on this channel. Um, you're going to see some of, of tanks, incredible Mad Max collection, uh, and costumes and things. Mm -hmm. And just a little, just some highlights from the Mahoning drive-in and maybe next time they do part three, you will be inclined to check it out yourself because yes. again, what they do, it's very special. This is a it very is the, the last uh, 35 millimeter drive-in in America. Um, and they, they show only 35 millimeter. There's no digital options. So every movie they get like is actual full on canisters of real film. It's pretty cool. Original. They're still using the original uh, projectors from 1949. And incredible. Incre I didn't know that. I didn't know those mm -hmm. facts. So, I mean, just last week they had Brian Usna for, you know, reanimator re and, uh, mm -hmm. some, uh, and return of living dead part three and some other great stuff. Um, just, just spectacular, but listen, we're not here great to talk day. about drive-ins. No, no. <laughs> we're, we're not here to talk about Mad Max. No, we're here I'm, to talk. Wait, which today. podcast is it? Am I in the wrong place? What? I, I, I mean, Come on, come on. Um, no, we are here today to continue our deep dive, uh, our deep dive into Tank's history, his experiences uh, as he worked for uh, the Misfits. Um, and he saw, man, he saw so much. Yes, yeah. he saw so much. And his story is so great. The reason why I love his story so much is because he started off as just a, a really passionate fan and collector mm -hmm. and went from passionate fan and collector to tour manager, you know, designing set stage stuff and, you know, helping to run the show. And it's just, it's, it's awesome. It's really, really awesome. And as I said, before I brought tank on, we don't know very much about this history, or at least we don't talk too much. We've done some Jerry's kids episodes, but that's really just in Jerry's world. We haven't really, Right. you know seen the whole blah, 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 blah. so it's good yeah that's good i've seen it it's it's scary he has seen it blah, 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 blah. Yeah. where 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 do we leave off last time exactly we were wow. we were in 1994 right um and, and i it's funny i just gave it a rewatch to pick up where we left off and uh it was uh yeah back in the mid 90s it was so the misfits i think were just by the way, I see all the comments, guys. And if you have any questions, um, we will definitely try and incorporate them if they are relevant to our conversation. What's I see Michelle. I see Jody Von Ramon in the house. We have mom is in the house. Mom Longoria. Trip Van Winkle is here. Pair of Dice found. <laughs> um, Magnon is here. We have hey, Alex. Alex says the misfits horse will never die and will continue, <laughs> continue to need, need beatings. beatings. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That is great. And we got dagger love in the house. Dagger. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you're well. I hope room work makes an appearance. We need room work. We got Chris. Chris is here guys. I can't keep shouting everybody out. Cause I'm just not, I have, I told tank we were going to stay on track and that's, this is going to be my fault. If we don't, it's going to be my fault. So I'll try and flash stuff, but I'm going to stop track. talking. Um, okay, we were talking. So, so the 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 misfits that before they were the misfits, they were still kind of trying to do Christ the Conqueror, and there mm. was a shift going yeah. back to using the name the misfits. Let's just start there. We talked about your audition. Mm. You had auditioned for the band. How did you officially start 
really or how tell us about the the um the gradual sort of evolution of you go uh working for them starting to work for them officially okay yeah so i went up in november 94 with my first audition and i think we knew after that that first round that it it, it wasn't going to work although they were gracious enough to let me come back and you know sing a few more times for whatever um but every time i came up we were we were doing uh conventions we were doing uh uh, there was one time, I think it was the second time I came up, I had built um, a couple model rockets because I knew that they, they were into model rockets. And I was like, oh, man, I've got like all kinds of parts in them. I'll, I'll throw something together. So I designed, <laughs> my God, this is this is scary. I designed a, a, a dual engine rocket. So it actually had like a central shaft and then wings, essentially, that each wing had an engine in it. So you needed two launch pads uh, to, to fire this thing, which meant two controllers two separate buttons so you're, you're launching two two engines at once and the thing about these like estes rockets is they're um literally like hit or miss when you press the button it can either fire or nothing could happen so you're always tinkering with it and trying to get something to, uh, is it connecting right what's going on so here we are we're at the on the on the uh the football field of vernon high school which is now where my son's graduating there in like a couple of weeks so, wow what, how did that happen um and i've we've got this rocket set up and so jerry jerry is there Jerry C or Jerry Other is there. Uh, Rocky is there. And I'm, I think JR was, yeah, JR was too young. We called him Baby Egg back then. He was just a, a newborn at that point, <laughs> Rocky's son. So I think it was just like uh, that that little group of us. And it was cold. I remember it being really cold. And and we're trying to get this thing to fire. Nothing's working. Nothing's working. And I, I, finally, one of the engines fires. And now instead of the rocket, like, taking off literally like a rocket, it's trying to go up two poles. <laughs> it's like it's fighting it and then it finally like clears the top of the poles and flips over because it's only got one side of propulsion and not the other and it proceeds to chase me and jerry around the freaking football field we're literally like <laughs> running for our lives from this rogue rocket chasing us down and uh uh that that later got ken to build a four engine rocket which actually worked a lot better but that, that was our, our first thing so the, like in the early days it was like yeah i was coming up to uh to audition or um we did there was a kiss convention that we appeared at let's hold on hold on we need like, to hold oh, yeah, i'm i'm pulling from time to time i will try and interject to pull pull the car over for a minute <laughs> i have always wondered about I this. Pull this car over i am going to pull this car over right now i have always wondered about this because I, I used to hear about or i used to see things that uh about kiss conventions or doing a kiss mm -hmm. convention what led to that? Why why a kiss convention? Is it because people used to sometimes call them the punk rock kiss? Like what no. is I, I think if I remember correctly, Lou Vomero, who owned Music Man Records, who was in the very, very early days, like in the 80s, yeah. was in charge of the Doyle fan club. Like when you called the phone number, you were calling Music Man. Um uh I think he put on like some record conventions and these this kiss convention and he's like hey you know jerry hey you guys should come down and, and appear, you know anything he could do to to get a, a draw right um this was this would have been like the second time all right talk about tangents we need to back up a little bit here so <laughs> <laughs> it's starting already it. oh my it. god so uh rocky and this other guy ray fagnano which who we kind of referred to, he was like the um, um, he was like MacGyver. Uh, 
they were building this styrofoam cemetery backdrop, a three-dimensional backdrop that the band could take pictures in front of. So it was like it was like a, a mound with all these tombstones sticking out of it, and then uh, a couple of pillars with like gargoyles on top and some gates out front. And then we had like a, a painted backdrop that had a silhouette of like more mounds with tombstones on them and then like a, a spooky sky in the background. So Ken and Ray were working on this thing. Ray hooked up something where he had a, a wire stretched out between two clamps and then he hooked that up to a car battery. And that is now what we cut the styrofoam with and it cut through like butter. It was, it was genius. That's, that's awesome. Him, yeah. That's why we called him uh, uh, MacGyver. Um so we we built this this cemetery thing. I remember we had a we had a, a spray gun, and I had to stand like twelve feet away from the pillars and the steps to spray uh, gray paint. Gray, somehow we mixed like gray and I, I forget. I I, def, I deflect it with we hit it with gray, and then I had to stand like twelve feet away with it, like gun shaking in my hand to just to speck it with with black. You need to a make texture. It look like you need yeah, to texture. make it look like it was like marble or something like that. Um, so the steps were done that way. The pillars were done that way. But it was all styrofoam. It looked pretty fucking legit. We actually had like tufts of grass coming out of the of the mound. I've seen all pictures the, of them. They look yeah. they looked great. I still sure. have the tombstone. There was there was my tombstone. Uh, it, it said Grim with one M because Ken thought that Grim with two M's would be Grimum. <laughs> uh, and I, I did a little I did a little skull sculpture that I stuck on the top just because you know I was like well I, I have to have the coolest tombstone. Um, but so. So we bring this thing to the KISS convention and we're bringing it in piece by piece, you know, a, a pillar under one arm and a mountain on the other. Like, I, it obviously weighs nothing. And we got somebody, you know, other guys are helping us set this stuff up. And we set stuff down, including some some steps. There's like steps that kind of went up to the gates. And we set the stuff down. We turn around to go get more. And we hear this crash, bang, boom. We're like, what the fuck? We turn around. And some guy, some, like, who the fuck is this guy? Some guy is, horns, okay. Some guy. Sorry, sorry I'm, this is for Rumorg. Rumorg, one of our longest, longest listeners is here wow. for the 100th episode. He was there at the very beginning. I just had to throw him horns. Holy I'm shit. sorry. I didn't mean to, um, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Go ahead. I thought there was like a signal, like, all right, you're, you're. Oh, you're no, no. I'm so sorry. That's, That's my gong show hook. Go um, ahead. Go ahead. Th there's this guy laying in the middle of the steps the steps are now crushed and he's laying in the middle of them I'm like what the fuck just happened <laughs> apparently this guy after we after we carried these steps in like spinning them on twirling them on our fingers we set them down and he's like oh hey cool look steps and he goes to walk up them <laughs> yeah what where did where where were you going up these steps to nowhere so stairway oh to heaven man <laughs> I, you know, only at a kiss convention, I swear. Um, so we ended up having to glue the steps back together. Like now they're all cracked, but actually kind of, it, it actually ended up being a good thing because now the steps were cracked, like actual marble steps would have cracked over time. And now when we ran the smoke machine behind it, instead of like billowing up and pouring out the edges, it actually like came through the cracks. And we're like, way to go, rando guy. But you know, what, what, what was, what were the other guys? Do the other guys have a reaction that you could remember about that? Like, oh, this, you know, any, any, any sort of reaction? We, we were all pretty much like, yo, numb nuts. What, yeah. what the fuck? Like, where did, where were you going? Those steps, three steps to nowhere. And you just full on, like, 
full body weight behind it, just went for it, like smash, smash, and then fell because he's expecting to go up when he's going down. I, I kind of wish I had it on camera because that it would have been funny enough just to make it worth the whole debacle. Um, so we're, we're set up at this Kiss convention. Ace Freely was there. There was uh, Kiss Army or Kiss Nation or some some uh, cover band who wore all the makeup. They were amazing, by the way. They, they played there. But it was a small-time operation. Weird. Okay. Interesting fact for collectors. This may have been, I think it was the first time we sold the Plan 9 skateboards to the public. So was it maybe it was the same weekend? I think it was the same weekend. We had stopped by Glenn's parents' house, 49 MacArthur. And Glenn's mom right away was like, oh, hey, I just made some lasagna. Do you want some lasagna? We're like, no, Mrs. Anselm, we're good. Thank you. How, I just got, I got some apples today. You take some apples. We're like, oh, my God. We couldn't leave without taking some food. So we left with a bag of apples. But she, <laughs> sweet little uh, old Italian lady. Um, but we, she was like, there's, there's a bunch of junk under my deck. Can you guys take a look at it and, like, maybe get it out of there for me? And we're like, uh sure mrs a you know whatever so I, I i literally like belly crawl under this this wooden uh deck and there's just bo- these like long boxes and i'm like what, what is this stuff i i pop them open they're full of skateboards you wait you want us to you, you want us to get rid of this stuff they are full of plan nine skateboards i'm talking coffin cut i'm talking uh skull cut i'm talking black i'm talking purple evil eye evil never dies oh my god cases cases of them this is like this was the ad that came out in thrasher whatever 80 whatever and it came out when i was a kid i'm like i don't have the money even for one of those but god i'd sure love you know and here here's all of them all of them including some uh there was one variety that hadn't been released maybe evil eye on the coffin cut or something that didn't quite fit right. Uh, so it ended up not being officially released. So I'm just like, uh, okay, I'm handing these boxes off to, off to Jerry to, to go load in the truck. I'm like, uh, she wants us to get rid of them. Right. And, uh, and at one point Jerry's like, Oh, okay. That's, that, that's good enough. And I'm like, dude, shut up. Uh, so we, we load them in the back of Doyle's truck, which Doyle's truck back then was something to see. This was a massive full size Bronco with, uh, 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 the the front grill was the same grill that they'd put on the old um, tow trucks, like for pushing other cars. It was a big metal grill, and then he had cone spikes down the middle of the of the hood. It just it looked so fucking cool. Um, so we fill up the back of his truck with these cases of of Plan Nine skateboard. We didn't see any of the Sam Hain ones, just um, just the Misfits ones. And so we get them to this convention, and Jerry's like, "Yeah, yeah, let's sell these. Uh, I don't know, fifteen dollars." $15? $15. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, it was, Jerry wasn't like, oh, let's, oh, these are worth a lot of money. Let's make... No, he wanted to just get them out to the fans. Um, you know, and kudos to him for that. Believe it or not, I I might have sold one that day. Like, nobody that was there, even though they, they were there to see the Misfits, like, really grasped what these were, what the value of them were, how rare they were. Um, so, luckily... I was able to make a stack of one of each for myself, obviously. Um, Jerry was was adamant. 
to make sure we hooked up, and this is this is a really cool that this is coming around right now, that we hooked up Elizabeth Boris. He wanted to make sure EBB got as close to a full set as we could. There was one, I think it was, excuse me, Purple Evil Never Dies. We only got one, and it was a little mar that actually had a scratch on it. Uh, so that went home with me. So Elizabeth got every one except that one. Um, Can we take a quick moment? Mm-hmm. And thank you for reminding me mm-hmm. um, because I thought about this. Elizabeth is honored and dedicated on another episode of this show, which has not aired yet and won't for some time because I literally have hours to go through in order to like put it together. However, seeing that this is the 100th episode and seeing that we have Tank on and that Tank uh, also knew Elizabeth, we would very, very well. much like to officially dedicate the this episode to her memory. Sure. Um, just a a a wonderful spirit. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I interviewed her about like her sort of like journey and experience with this stuff. She was so loved and celebrated in this community, and um, her story is properly. Uh, documented Mm -hmm. so even though she's not with us anymore her words and her memories um are properly or at least some of them at least are stored and uh, i hope people will see that someday so yeah yeah so just she was she was really uh she was an angel among us demons um really absolute sweetheart not a mean bone on her body um so she got uh, and, and we'll talk more about her because there's a lot of in the early days, there's a lot of history that with her and I. Um, so she got almost a, a complete set. Then my buddy Steve uh, Lucas, who we talked about a lot on the last episode. Right. Um, he got a very close to complete set. And uh, and uh, we all got one blank coffin, just a blank uh, black coffin. And that's the one that I actually threw some trucks on some red rails and actually skated at uh, Lansdowne in Maryland was an old seventies cement skate park. That was just like abandoned. Uh, I skated on that until I flipped off the skateboard and separated my shoulder and never skated again. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. You don't do that at at 200. What a board, but what a board to do it on, on. Right. 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 Yeah. I love that board too. It, it, it skated great. There is Steve. Steve is here, man. Glad this is here. Hi, Steve. Um, So, so let me, hold on. I, Sorry, real quick, super quick. I'm sorry to cut you off. Super quick. And I probably will do this from time to time. What um what are the what are the reactions to? I just real quick before we move on, because we're just gonna keep going and going. What are the reactions of Jerry and Doyle to these skate decks under the deck initially when you're there? They just it's just like whatever to them, or they don't think totally whatever. Didn't didn't really care. Wasn't wasn't on their radar at all. Um you know, and and I'm trying to downplay it, but I'm I'm like really like ha ha, Dick Slider in the house. Oh my god, <laughs> D- yeah, Dick okay, Slider. Dick Slider in the Slider. house. Um, yeah, Dick Slider, Darren <laughs> was uh our our tech at the the Fiend Club gig that we did at the old nine thirty club, the Gong Show. Oh, nice. Dave smashed the guitar on stage. Darren was the one that that had uh, that second guitar ready to go for Dave to uh, take over. And and uh, speaking of resting in peace, big Dave Smith. Uh, so I'm glad he's wow. Like the gang's all here. Where's Ruiz? We need Ruiz. And then Fiend Club's back in business. Paging Ruiz. Paging yes. Ruiz. Anthony Ruiz. Ruiz, as uh, uh, Lou Vamero used to call him. Okay, Ruiz. Uh, Darren is here. Also, lands down skate park. Hell yeah, Baltimore, Maryland. Um. So yeah, these these skateboards. And okay, so 
jumping uh, forward a little bit, but it, but it's it's important to this uh, these skateboards. The Misfits, uh, whatever year ninety something or another, um, we were on tour with uh, Sick of It All and H Two O. We hooked up for one night in Salt Lake City with Suicidal and Head PE. Met, you know, five band bill. The venue we were playing at was brand new, and I mean brand new. Like we showed up and there was wet paint signs. Still, they were still painting the freaking place. Um, so Head PE is playing. They're, they're the first band to go on. I've got merch set up. Can't uh, Rocky comes over to me. He's like, "Tank, try to do this like without anybody noticing, but I need you to take all the merch down, throw it in the boxes, get it locked away somewhere quickly and quietly, and then get on the stage." What? Apparently, um, the promoter did not hire it EMTs because this is a paid event. There was some like you have to have an EMT on do like an ambulance on standby, something like that. In at least in the in this in Salt Lake City, uh, so they were there. The police were shutting the show down, and they were going to make the announcement after Head PE finished their set, and we needed to be on stage in case there was a riot. We had to protect the gear, or whatever. Oh my God. So I start ripping off. I mean, we, if you can imagine all the misfit shirts on the wall I and mean, how many, you know, 20 shirts and I'm ripping them all down. I'm ripping stickers and posters down, you know, all this stuff and throwing it in the boxes. And some guys like, Hey, Hey, where are you going? I'm like, Oh, uh, we're not set up in the right place. I, I got to go hang this stuff somewhere. Like, what am I supposed to say? So I throw the shit in boxes, throw it on the hand truck. I get it upstairs into a, just some random room that I can lock. I lock the door and, and shut it. And then I get back down on the stage and I'm ready to like, tackle people as they come on the stage whatever whatever needed to be done um so the police made the announcement the place is the, the crowd is very upset but then a local uh radio personality gets on on the radio on the on the stage rather he's like hey guys listen you know this is so and so from such and such station and everybody's getting their money back it's just you know he he calmed the crowd down so there was no riot although the full-on riot squad was out in the parking lot like helicopters circling with spotlights and police with riot shields tapping their batons on the shield marching through the park. Like it was really, the shit was about to go down. Um, and then I, I go upstairs, I'm like, all right, who's got the key for this room? I just locked all the merch in there. And they're like, we don't know. So I, I kicked the fucking door down. <laughs> like what else would you do? I, I kicked the door wide open. And it, it's so funny because my daughter was just in uh, 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 Disney uh, like a week ago. And she texted me in the middle of the night, late at night, how do you break down a door? And I'm like, well, <laughs> if, if you're asking the right guy, because I, I do that kind of shit. Um, and she was just locked out of her room. She needed another key. So at that show, before that show, uh, I went to dinner at some fast food joint before uh, doors open. So, I, you know, go sell merch. And I'm hanging with, I can't remember his name. Sorry, guy. <laughs> the owner of Dogtown Skates. He was on tour with Suicidal. And we get to talking somehow about those Plan 9 skateboards. And he's like, yeah, I made those. Dogtown made the decks and then shipped the blanks out to Glenn where Glenn was going to have them silk screened locally or he silk screened them himself or, you know, whatever the case was. And I think, I, I you know, I think, and I, I don't remember where I heard this. Maybe he told me, um, but I think the reason they didn't get released was Glenn was not happy with the color purple. And I don't mean the movie. I mean, the color, the, the purple decks, they were more lavenderish. They weren't like an evil purple. Um, so Glenn was, he silk screened them, but then he's probably like, nah, fuck this. I, you know, and then, and then they never, they sat under his mother's deck, the decks under the deck. Um, so <laughs> getting back to the story, um, 
yeah, we had those decks at the Kiss Convention, and nobody bought them at fifteen dollars a piece. Imagine going to some random convention and every uh, it's such such a likable um, every Plan Nine vintage classic deck laid out on the table with a fifteen dollar price tag. Unreal, lose your mind kind of shit. And I could barely, I couldn't move them. I couldn't move them. Um, might have been the wrong place, wrong time. I don't know. But uh, yeah, a lot of those decks went to people. Um, uh, like like I said, Elizabeth, Steve. I traded some for some other stuff with people. Just gave them away as gifts. I still have the coffin deck, the one I used to skate up in my attic. Uh, twenty five years later. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, so th- those are so. I don't. How do we get on the the deck? I so- will. I'm gonna ring. I'm gonna bring you back around. I mean, this is what you could do. You just let him go. You wind him up, and he just goes. He's like one of those monkeys with the ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding, ding. No, um, like a barrel of monkeys. Like I had the, the hook arms, <laughs> right? The hook arms. No, we were talking about we were talking about the Kiss Convention, mm-hmm. and they sold the decks. And I think that's so. I did not know that about Jerry. That he just, you know, I mean, again, we talked about this in the last episode, but just carrying over the, on the theme of. In you know, when it comes to his fans, that guy just really always tries and does he does, he always yeah. does right by yeah. his fans in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. What do those things retail for in that in that thrasher at 40, 50 bucks? I, I don't remember. Yeah, even back then it was and it would really yeah. was not about it was it's not about money, it's just about um it's about doing something nice for fans as well right. as his gregarious nature. And um, knowing Knowing the situation, knowing him, knowing the situation, if I had pulled out any of the Sam Hain decks, which I would have lost my mind if I pulled out a, a, a coffin scarecrow beast deck. Oh wow. Um he, he would have been like, no, 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 put that back. He didn't want anything, didn't want anything to do with that. Right. So, um now, okay, so you're at this KISS convention. The uh, mm-hmm. Ace Freely is there, um, the the KISS tribute band performs. Yeah. And the, the the theme here is it's an opportunity to say, hey, we're coming back, right? Isn't that overall that's kind of like what it's what we're sort of aiming at, even if we're yeah. not all together yet. Talk at, a little bit about that. At this point, right. and uh, this brings back this bring every little point brings up more stories. Sorry, guys, I'm I'm chock full of useless information. So Michael was there. Mike Emmanuel. Because that was his name back then. Michael Emanuel was there. Um, his girlfriend Rachel was with him. And like he must have just started. Okay, wow, the stories are just coming back to me. Holy shit. So this weekend, that I'm pretty sure it was that same weekend, uh, was was the weekend I was driving the white van that that the old old man Kayafa used to use to deliver hay to his racehorses. So we had we had all the props and everything in there. So he was using my car, my little my, my little Toyota Tercel hatchback stick shift, like bare bones, uh, you know, make a uh, car, um, which I kept spotless because it was like my first kind of newish car. And I get it back, and the the ashtray is full of stogies, and my car reeks. I'm like, oh come on, oh my god. So yeah, uh, old man Kayafa, he he drank. Uh, cognac and, and smoked cigars nonstop till the till the day he died. I think that's what kept him alive actually after they uh how how old did he live to be? Very he he was he was up there in years, right? He was up there. Um 
I'm not sure, but he he was definitely of a hardy stock because there was, right. he was a boxer in the army, and there was a photograph in his office um, of him in his boxing days standing over somebody that he had like just literally looked like just knocked out, and the caption uh, underneath it um, in his in his office there at, at Congruent um, said uh, something like that. You know, tell me again about that raise you wanted. <laughs> something like that. Um, you know and, who he went was to high school he, with. What's that? You know who he went to high school with? Um, Benson from Cardi Sugar Bowl. They were in the same grade at Lodi High School. Uh, okay, that make that that adds. I up. did not know that. Everybody, everybody knows everybody. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy. So, uh, Gerald, Gerald Kyoff, Jerry Kyoff Senior, the old man, um, knew he was very smart. Who knew? He would sit in like physics classes for the final exam for his buddies, and he would take the final exam for them so they would pass physics. Um, and there was a Ken told me this story, Rocky, that one of his physics teachers once said, if a fly lands on the top of a of a skyscraper, does that skyscraper move? And everybody in the class was like, no. No way. And the teacher said, what are the laws of physics? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If that if that skyscraper does not move, reality as we know it falls apart. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So yes, it does move. It's it's an immeasurable amount, but it does move. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, tangents. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so the old man who, uh, there's so many stories about him too. Oh my God. Uh, knocking people out and and jerking off horses and and just kind of wait whoa 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 hold on what, 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 hold what? on a second knocking people out I can talk about no people no 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 you just you said you just people, said what? wait what did you just say <laughs> that is is that real is that true really okay so one of the things that uh, the old man invested in after making literally millions uh, at the the original location of the machine shop in Patterson New Jersey yeah. Uh, which was a bad, bad area back then. I work there now, and it's it's nothing like like it was back in the seventies. Um, that's uh, what was that? Uh, Lean on me was the movie. They used to call me Crazy Joe. Now they call me Batman. Yeah, that with with Morgan Freeman. That movie was based on Patterson High School in that era. Uh, that's how bad that area was. Um, Great movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he moved the shop up to up to uh, to Vernon and bought a lot of property up here, which was this this area is now booming. Uh, with the ski slopes and the water parks and all that kind of stuff. And another thing that he invested in was racehorses. He, he had owned a lot of racehorses. He would, he would uh, raise them and train them. Uh, the track that was behind Rocky's house was supposed to be a quarter mile track to train the horses on, but the fill they got was too rocky. So they never used it. We ended up racing dune buggies on it instead. Um, but one of the things, I don't know how this came up in conversation. Um, he w- he would get certain horses to breed with each other to to make better racehorses, and I don't, maybe it was Doyle what you're talking to him about. I I don't remember the details, but the I got the punchline though. Um, he's like, well, what happened? What do you do if the if the horse isn't interested um, in mating? Now it makes sense. He's like, well, you. you know, <laughs> I I, I got to get him started. And they were like, "What? What? Oh my God! What do you mean?" He's like, and he he's his his punchline was, "What? You don't think I can do it?" <laughs> <laughs> I 
so if uh talk about dirty jobs like all right let's get this horse going here uh yeah you, yeah you want to mount over there oh man but that's that's who old man taught. he was no well, guff what a response just, though what you right. don't think i could do it well, you like, don't think i can do it perfect response to not, not like, like ooh that. or yuck or yeah you know i have to no well you don't think i can do it like I, he, did, I, he didn't give a shit that's didn't awesome shit. Yeah. awesome story thank you this for sharing is, this that. so so uh jerry doyle and ken's uh rocky's um cousin joe uh, who I learned, uh, Kenny and I learned the, the pool business from. He used to work at the shop at, at, uh, at Kendruin. And he was, f- typical Joe, he was fooling around with the old man one day and like like throwing some punches at him. And so as the story goes, I, I was not there, but I, I heard it from a reliable source who was there, i.e. Kenny, um, <laughs> says to me, you know, so so the old man, uh, you know, throws one shot, misses, you know, Joe's still kind of playing around. Old man throws another shot, misses, Joe's kind of tapping this and that. Third shot comes around, connects, boom! Cousin Joe is laid out, unconscious, into a 55-gallon barrel of, like, little tiny parts that just go spilling all over the shop. And he is, like, done. One shot out. I don't know how long he was down, but when he came to, probably shortly thereafter, and and they're helping him up, and he's dazed, and he's like, what happened? There's the old man. With the stogie, you got knocked out. <laughs> wow, classic! I mean, this, this, this was old man Kayafa. He was just—he didn't fuck with him. Uh, he, you know, he—he he wasn't a joker. He was straight up just boom. Um, was that his? Was that like the the term for him for anybody? Old man Kayafa? Was it just senior or just Gerald or? Um. I don't know. I'm, I might just be calling him old man Kayafa, but I, I, I do know uh, the day he passed away, we went to a, um, what do they call it? Uh, it was a, it was a, it was a fire department, local fire department fundraiser where they have a, a beefsteak. That's what it was. Thank you. Um, and everybody, everybody in Vernon, that's all they were talking about that night was, Oh, did you hear about, you know, old man Kayafa passed away? Like everybody knew him. Everybody knew who he was at least. So he was, uh, uh, I, I would imagine you know, larger than life. He was a big, yeah. he was a well known, yeah, yeah. But they, they found uh cancer, um, in him many, 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 many years ago, and they didn't give him much time to live. And he just kept drinking his cognac and smoking his cigars. And I think that's what actually kept him going. I think a you're lot right. Longer than they his, it didn't to. shock his system, it no. just stopped, right? Like, yeah. it probably would have just like yep. hurt his system. <laughs> in some way, shape, or form, you know, like yeah. it would have just made him like not able to. But look, we were back. All right, now I'm pulling you back again, and now we were talking Michael Emanuel. Yes, okay. Was Michael also Emmanuel. at, but now who's drumming at this time? It was Chud? Chud, Chud was it's, there it's, in the group. It's it was it was pretty much always Chud, regardless. Even though he wasn't officially the drummer, he was just always there, and it was like he was the logical guy. Other people came in and auditioned. Steve Lucas auditioned. Uh, Joel Galston auditioned, who was like a local kid who like wanted to promote shows and stuff. We used to call him Joel the Mole. Um, we had a mole, we had a chipmunk, and we had a gopher. Yeah. Uh, Mark Kennedy was chipmunk, actually. That was his Mark name. Kennedy. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. And some other guy. No, okay, it was Joel who asked for the nickname. And we called him Joel the Mole because we had Chipmunk and Gopher, who was some kid that used to come to the the uh, Trocadero in Philly. 
And so we called him Joel the Mole. I don't want to be the Joel. Too late. You asked for a nickname. It's stuck now. You have to take it. Joel the Mole. You're Joel the Mole. Um, so never yes, ask for a nickname. Never. Remember, we talked about this. You don't never ask for a nickname. You if you like ask it. for a nickname, you're going to be, it's be careful what you wish for because you're going to get a nickname. You might not like that nickname. Yeah. Nicknames yeah. have to be bestowed based. You earn a nickname mm -hmm. based on something you do. If yep. you jump really high or if you, I don't know, just I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head, eat too many hot dogs or, you know, you jump too high. <laughs> if you vomit <laughs> spaghetti and maybe everybody start calling you spaghetti vomit. I don't know. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it was always tank grim Doyle at least once called me ox. Ken used to call me uh Bluto because I had the, the black beard and oh, Brutus. <laughs> Um, so there was a myriad of, of nicknames, but Tank was the only one that obviously stuck. Rocky loves giving out nicknames. He does. Oh, yeah. What's yeah, what's we... Rocky's nickname for me? Did he give you one? I don't remember. Yes. He, we were talking about this during the Mad Max thing. Was I there? No, yeah. I, I, I don't remember. I don't remember. It was, uh, it, it was Blue's Clues. Blue's Clues. Blue's Clues. Yeah. Oh, wearing a striped shirt or something? He like, just see, thought he... he... He, he, I was, he referred to me as Blues Clues. I didn't ask him to call me that, but I was Blues Clues. We had a, uh, a manager uh, before John Caffiero came on board. Um, really? Al, I, forget, I forget his last name. He was just a hired gun from like LA. And he was a big Sopranos fan. And he's like, I, you know, I want, a, I want a New Jersey, like a Goomba nickname like the Sopranos have. And you get, you know, you guys are Jersey guys. You got to give me a nickname. Okay. You're Brown Al what and you know and he was hispanic he's like that sounds racist i'm like no 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 and kenny was the one who came up with it no look at your shoes al always wore brown leather shoes always that was like his mo look at your you're brown al and he didn't he didn't like but get too late you're brown al he it, just asked it, for it. once it sticks it sticks mm -hmm. i guess you're brown just, al. you can't yeah you don't ever ask for a nickname don't life advice here kids yes life, life advice, advice. Blues clues over here Life <laughs> advice. It's it's true. It's true. I, so I Michael promise. Emanuel. Michael uh, Emanuel. Right. Yeah. Michael yeah. Emanuel. We okay. were talking about trying him. Trying to get back there. So he. All right. Ken and I were at wasn't Lodi Pizza. It was uh, what's the other big pizza joint in Lodi? Pizza Town. Pizza Town. Oh, Pizza Town's good. Like yeah. Pizza so Town. it was Pizza Town. We. I remember he and I went there for a couple. I don't know what we were doing that night, but we went there for a couple slices. And this is before the day of cell phones. So he got on the payphone to call this Michael Emanuel guy that somebody recommended. Somebody from a studio said, Hey, this this kid can sing. You might want to give him, you know, give him a shout. So we called him and I was with Ken when he left the, the first voicemail for, for Michael. Hey, this is Rocky from the Misfits. We'd like you to come up and uh, audition. Um, and the rest is obviously uh, history. Michael had never didn't know the Misfits song. He he was a rancid fan. Um so anyway, so Michael with his long brown hair at the time, still, um, I don't know if that was Bambi Slam era stuff or what. Um, he was there that weekend. And I, I think that was the first time I saw him rehearse with the band. And I was working with him on his, he was singing with a microphone stand and kind of like leaning on it and hanging. I'm like, uh -uh, the mic stand's got to go. You you are the connection between the band and the, the crowd. You need to be able to reach out, look at that, ooh, reach out to them and pull them in. And that mic stand is in your way. It's a crutch. So I got him to get rid of that. And I used to put a mirror 
we had like a tall mirror um and i put it in front of him in the rehearsal room and i'm like look at how you're get a stance get a i was working on on his image basically because i mean you're coming from somebody who loved the band emulated the band looked like the band like i lived the band without actually being in the band right right and i'm right. like you we need to bring you around it, it, it needs to come around so i was working with him on the early days um so that same day that we got those decks that night in the rehearsal space at the shop ken came walking in the room and i don't know who brought it up maybe michael brought somebody brought it up said michael's gonna need a stage name like at, at this point we we're feeling pretty good like this, this this guy can really sing we should you know he should be in, in the band and ken very this is ken's humor by the way very serious about what he was saying oh we we, we already have a stage name for him it's Rafone. Come again? Yeah, it's Rafone. You know, like Mike Rafone. Microphone. I'm like, oh, and, and and he's like, he's standing by this. He's not like smiling. He's not, he's being very dead on serious. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, he needs a, like a, a spooky name that sounds like it could be a real name. Like uh, like I don't know, like Michael uh Michael Graves. Michael Cobwebs. And, <laughs> and my, Michael turns around and looks at me and goes. I'm going to be Michael Graves. There's my 15 minutes of fame, folks. Thank you. Very and much. now, if you could help him out and get him a new name so that nobody recognizes Michael Graves, <laughs> I think he'd be very, very <laughs> grateful at this point. Right. So we need a new name. Right. <laughs> it's a new name now. Um, no, that's that's interesting, though. Now, now here's the question. You said right now, um, you said right now, that uh you knew right. at this point yeah. that he was going to be the guy yeah. when i think about oh, yeah. the, chron the chronology chronology mm -hmm. of the situation that word yes that word which is hard to pronounce it's more hard to pronounce than you think it's kind of hard word to pronounce and i kind of suck at pronouncing words but um so hold on one second though because wasn't there there was a time where he was like is this the time where yeah, he's the guy, but we're kind of still looking at, you know, Dave Vanian and, and Peter Steele. Or... I don't think Dave Vanian was ever really on the on the table. The Peter Steele thing was very, like, talked about very early on, but Peter never expressed any, like, sincere interest. Be like, uh, yeah, I don't. So the only, so, again, this is all happening in the same era. The First two appearances, the Misfits actually showed up and played in public was during intermission, during a typo negative show at Roseland. Jerry, Doyle, Chud, and Michael came out to sing. And then that same night, we went to Coney Island High after, uh, after Murphy's Law finished and played a set there. I don't remember specifically what happened at Roseland, but I know at Coney Island High, Michael sang the first half of the songs and Sal B right. sang the second half. That might have been for the simple fact that Michael didn't know all the songs yet. He didn't have them, them memorized. Uh, at the Roseland Sal show, had I been... remember... I remember... Wait, what? Chud sang something. Oh, okay. All right. Um, uh, Kenny from Typo, the guitarist, sang a couple of songs and Michael sang a couple of songs. And that was about it. The Coney Island High thing was like an actual set where, excuse me, Michael sang the first half and like Sal B sang the second half. And, oh boy, 
this is this is a great Pauly B story. Fucking Pauly B on the small, very small venue, and and I I didn't know Jimmy Gestapo yet. We toured with him many years later, and I realized like every word out of his mouth is a, is a fucking joke. He says we're we're already there, like we're waiting for for uh, Murphy's Law to finish, and we're like then we're gonna take over. And and he says to the crowd like you know nanny nanny boo boo the misfits aren't playing tonight or something you know something like that, and I was like, what who you know I'm ready to throw down with this guy I think he's like talking trash I didn't know he was joking, uh, sorry sorry Jimmy love you bro, <laughs> um, um, so we're we're doing our we're doing our set Michael's singing and there's some girl standing on the side of the stage with her with her boyfriend like she's not even out in the crowd she's backstage so she's like on the side, and she's like. She, she, okay. She's like, she, fuck you. This isn't the misfits. Where's Glenn? This sucks. She's, she spits towards the band. And Pauly B's on, on Jerry's side of the stage. I'm on Doyle's side of the stage, kind of working security like we really needed. It was a tiny freaking place. Um, but Pauly B, and this, this is so Pauly B, he turns around, doesn't even look at her. He looks at her boyfriend and says, she spits one more time. I'm punching you in the face. And her, and, and Paulie B was like, he was, he was barrel chested. He was, he was a bulldog, former Marine. Like you didn't want to tussle with him. Um, the boyfriend like looked at the girlfriend, like, I don't want to die tonight. Don't, don't spit anymore. Don't spit anymore. Um, and so she was doing her best punk rock thing. And of course, after the show's over, we're all backstage. There she is like hanging with the band and like, sell, you know, like, Hey everybody. I'm like, like okay. <laughs> you fake broad. Um, but yes. Oh my God. What a, what a great, uh, Pauly B uh, example. May he rest in peace as well. Um, may he rest in peace. Yeah. Um, so no. Okay. So forget about Dave Indian for a minute, but yeah, but Peter Steele, you know, Peter Steele's learning the songs from Michael Emanuel at some, at some point. Right. And then Michael, and then Pete Steele says, Hey, uh, why don't you just Jerry? Say- yeah. Jerry, Jerry, this, this is your guy. Guy. When does, yeah. does that happen? Where does that happen? I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I remember, the misfits doing like hanging with typo negative. We did a gig with them in Roseland. We hung with them in Poughkeepsie at the chance. And, but like, like I, I know Michael was a huge fan of, uh, of typo. And he, he used to do his Peter Steele impression, like during sound. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. You guys had to come here tonight and witness all this, uh, us playing here. You know, I'm like, all right, cool. Um, but I, I really don't know, like, the validity of, yeah, we're going to teach Peter Steele. Peter Steele, he had a band. Right. What yeah, I was trying to figure that out. I, I You know what's funny, too? I could have sworn, and again, look, you were there. I was not. Uh, I, but I could have sworn that even even Graves himself has, has said as much in know. interviews. But I don't know. I just mm. wanted – I am just try, I was just trying to figure out where that fit right. into all of this. In he, any he, case I – mean, Peter Steele again. Everybody, may he rest in peace. Great guy, but he would not have been the right fit. I mean, right. my voice is deep. His voice, like it didn't work. Jerry and I tried it; it didn't work. Um, right. And uh, but <laughs> I think was it the the first time I met Peter? Maybe. Anyway, the night the box set was released, uh, we were in the city at a record store. Um, and so, like at midnight, I guess they opened the doors and like, hey, everybody, buy your your Misfits coffin box set. And Jerry was there, and, and Doyle was there without. He had the devil lock, but no makeup. That's one of the rare times you got to see him in this era without his makeup, his stage makeup. Um, and Mr. Jim was there, and Frank was there, and I think even Bobby was there. 
I mean, it was like, it was a good, good turnout. Um, but beforehand, we were across the street at a pizza party that we, we had hosted. And I forget what band was playing. Um, and Peter Steele was upstairs with like a girlfriend or something. And uh, between whatever whatever band was that was playing, was, you know, some local uh, kids, uh, Peter Steele would shout out from upstairs, what a three more! What a three more! <laughs> at the beginning of every song, I'm like, I like this guy. He's a fucking joker. Um, but uh, so Michael, Michael, Michael was there uh, at the at the box set. Wait, signing as well at the box set signing, and so was Chud. And they were so yeah. Michael Graves and Doctor Chud are signing box sets. I don't know if they signed them, but I mean, people probably wanted them signed. But they were there as yeah. like, we are the Misfits, or you know, the history of the Misfits. Right. So it, they were pretty legit at that point. Whatever the the release date was for that. That was later. That was like two years yeah. later or something, right? Yeah, that had we hadn't been got. We weren't later. back on tour yet. I don't think. Uh, like, yeah, because Doyle had, didn't didn't do the the, the the makeup. He hadn't. I don't. He hadn't really invented it yet. So right. that was that was the only time I think I've seen him wear his Doyle leather vest that hmm. he like he owned, but he never. When we were doing the Jerry model, uh, Bill Paquette, who sculpted the model, was commissioned or was going to next be commissioned to to sculpt the Doyle model and Doyle wanted his model to come shirtless but you had the option um of putting together a resin leather vest like in pieces that would would go on like a puzzle over him so you could do them with or without the vest but then the Doyle model like never for some reason never happened I don't know why um, so you're talking about that leather vest. That's the Doyle jacket with the crimson ghost back from like 80 to 83 yeah. or whatever. Or yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. What's Graves reaction once he finds out he's the singer of the misfits? I wasn't there when the official word was given to him. So I, I really can't gotcha. say I'm sure he was excited. I mean, it was a, yeah. here, here's a great gig, you know, hand it to you. Um, and uh, yeah, he was his, like I said, his voice—it was just angelic. It was really, and and he, he could write songs. Uh, clearly, as as he proved, he could write album. songs. We they can't something that is true, and yeah. he's written a lot of them since too. The guy, I, the guy does write songs. I, you know, I'm thinking back. I you know, I in my dreams, I wanted to be the singer for the Misfits, but looking back and seeing how much pressure was put on these guys to now write some new material that lived up to the legendary name and i'm like i don't think i could handle that pressure i'm i'm not a a steeped musician to where i can be like well the the style that they wrote their songs in was was x so we're gonna do like an x and a y sort of no i i'm i was not the right choice clearly the guy made the right uh, right decision you know i you know i think that the but what what you just said about the pressure and having to write songs i mean all of that stuff is just all of it is just a byproduct of the complication of using the name. Mm. You know, that's what it really comes down to. Nobody, yes. you know, people would still people would still com- make comparisons for sure. But if they had gone with the name like The Resurrected or Them or Dead yeah. Kings Rise mm-hmm. or whatever, um, it would have been harder for sure. They wouldn't have gotten as many money right. guarantees. But right. I, I mean basically anything that they would have done would have been valid in its own right without comparison, meaning that nobody would go, it can't be this, nobody would be questioning the the validity of whatever was being done because it's not the same name. It's, Hey, quite clearly we are trying, we are our own continuation of the thing. And we, you know, 
are still doing our thing, but we're doing it in our, our, a, a slightly different way. Do you yeah, remember? They, they did that. They called it Christ the Conqueror. Right. Where, where did that go? <laughs> ah, um, yeah. That, that yeah, says if, it all. If, uh, remember Jerry describing to me, if because if, when, I, when I first came on board, uh, the court case hadn't been fully settled yet. Um, but I remember seeing like these massive spreadsheets with like every Misfit song listed on it and who wrote like what part, like who contributed, like Glenn obviously did all the lyrics, but like, you know, maybe Jerry wrote the part that started the song or, you know, Mr. Jim threw a, a snare shot in there, you know, whatever. Like, so everybody got their, their, their fair share. Uh, but if Jerry was like, yeah, if we don't get the name back, we'll call ourselves them. And the, the first album we do will be a, a picture of the Xanti misfits, the little ants with the, with the crazy faces carrying. It'll be, it'll be the misfits in the, in the famous uh, monsters font, but it'll be the Xanti misfits carrying Isfits away. And all that will be left would be them. <laughs> That's where that was going to go. I, man, I think it's a really cool idea to be honest with you. I thought that was such a, what a great idea for a name, just them with yeah. like a exclamation point or yeah. something. I don't know. The Listen, early concept artwork before they had a singer, um, their first album, they were going to do the, uh, the eighth wonder of the world. And it was going to feature King Kong on the cover. So King Kong was going to be chained up behind the band playing. It was like a, like an aerial shot looking down and uh, the singer in the drawing was the crimson ghost the crimson ghost model that came out as the jerry and doyle set were supposed to be and then the king the crimson ghost was just sculpted by some kid um because a much much simpler sculpt he had he came with uh, a hand he you know two separate hands but one of the hand options was him holding a microphone like he was the guy singing mm. as jerry was playing the bass and doyle would have been playing a guitar you know, that's actually a really cool unused concept for the 90s era misfits. The idea of like whoever is singing is just literally the Crimson Ghost in the same way that people will sometimes do pictures. They do. They always do Glenn, Jerry Doyle and a Crimson Ghost behind because there's so many drummers and nobody ever knows what to pick. So they just put a Crimson Ghost right. behind. And this is kind of like the inverse of that. I think that's actually really cool. That was a, the, the cool first idea. concept of using the Crimson Ghost on stage was going to be more like Eddie from Iron Maiden to where he was like larger than life. And it was going to be Ken, which it ended up being Ken, you know, down the road, although even though we sold eight by tens of the Crimson Ghost at the merch stand, um, Ken wouldn't admit Rocky would not admit to being the ghost. Um, so if you ever <laughs> if you ever autographed an eight by ten, it was autographed by the Crimson Ghost. Um, although my mine and I think somebody else's, he actually autographed Rocky. He's like, I don't normally do that. Um, wow. But the idea was it would be Rocky wearing. Kind of like the the talking heads, the big suit from Stop Making Sense. Like I don't know how this was going to work, um, but Rocky's going to be wearing like a helmet, like a motorcycle helmet that the Crimson Ghost head was on top of. So like the eyes would be lit up or something like that. But so he'd be like that much taller, and there'd be like some some shoulder padding. So when his head turned, like the Crimson Ghost, so that was like he was going to be a shtick, a, a gimmick uh, of him running around. Um, luckily, that that didn't quite work out. I don't think that would have been so cool actually. I I do love seeing, you know, from the video I've seen, I love all that stuff that gets added, though. You know, there's a lot of oh, really yeah. cool stuff that gets added in the 90s in terms of yeah, yeah, yeah. 
theatricality and mm-hmm. you know you start incorporating the stuff but let's hold on so so graves is now in the band and you're yeah. good there's the first were you on the the tour the european tour were you on the green hell tour bus no um cory fair who owned and ran souls ablaze who is who made the misfits merchandise back in the mid 90s um he was like you, they, they, they could either pay uh john grimm to go and sell the merch or Corey said, Hey, I'll pay my own way flights and everything. You don't need to pay me to do the mer- and I'll just handle the merch. And they were like, they were like, Hmm, well, what should we do here? Gee, I wonder. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that was Corey on, um, on that first tour. Um, what do you remember? Uh, you weren't on the tour, but what do you remember around that time? Scuttlebutt or just the general, vibe of like okay so the misfits are back and they're, they're back, doing yeah. shows what, what what's that like i remember around that time michael's girlfriend rachel and i were like working together on, on getting the fiend club up and running um and, and it was she was tasked with the thankless job of we we had this this all the doyle fan club names and addresses and she was supposed to type them all into this laptop that we had gotten and, and, and this was early days of, of any of this technology, and the laptop was just it was a horrendous brick of something to work with. And the, the software, if you can imagine, mid-'90s was just, like, so clunky and difficult to, like, it, it didn't do anything you wanted it to do. It wasn't just point and click and done. Um, but I remember her telling me about the tour, like, she didn't know what, like, they're coming out to a Christ the Conqueror song. And I'm like, what? Christ the... Ended up being Dr. Fives, which, okay, that... Later, that made sense. But when she first told me, I'm like, what do you mean they're playing a, a Christ the Conqueror song? Um, and I don't know who made these. It might have been Rocky. But there was a whole bunch of, of like, backstage passes that had been printed out with different colors and then laminated to be handed out to people. Like, backstage passes, it's just like a sticky pass you put on your, your chest with your, your name, like, handwritten on it. Um, so Mark Kennedy ended up with a whole bunch of these. And I traded them one of the set of the walk among us uh, record labels the unreleased ones um for a set of these these weirdo uh backstage passes but i i the the the, the biggest thing i remember about that tour is um the driver no wait was it yeah it was it was that it was a european tour bus driver that they called the troll and they i, I never met this guy so apparently he was a real character so they all drew pictures of the troll. And the one that Michael <laughs> drew was he wrote 1-800 the troll. Like that was that was that was the phone number. That was the gimmick. And we hung these pictures up in, in the rehearsal space at the shop. But it didn't I I didn't know it said 1-800 the troll. For years I thought it said I boo the troll. <laughs> right, I get it. The 800 looked, looked like, like I boo the troll. So I, anyway, that's that's what I remember about that tour. Actually, is is the troll this guy that I, I never freaking met? Um, yeah, is there anything to really talk about that tour? Nothing. I just um, from what I know is just that it was just a it was a hard tour. They were on a big green bus that they called Green yeah. Hell, and yeah. they got sick, and Michael got kicked it, in the it face. Was a bunch and... It was It was like the, this is not a tour bus, guys. This is right. I don't know who set this up? But this is not a tour bus. Right. Sal was with them, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, well, Sard- I think Sardonica was on that tour. Yeah, Sardonica and sub a different, uh, not the not the Peter Steele Sub Zero, a different like a hardcore Sub Zero. Now Sal B, 
had you know before they before they had officially adopted Michael, like Sal B would just get up and he would do. He I would was sing with them. I was there for some of the Sal B rehearsals. Did and, he officially uh, rehearse trying to be the singer as well at some point? I don't know if it was official or not, but he was certainly up there, like maybe just to help yeah. them with their rehearsals. Right. Um, you know, he didn't. He didn't have the look. I mean, great, great guy. Sure. But he he didn't look like a member of the Misfits. But then again, when Michael came on board, he didn't look like one either. We had to we had to work on that. Um, right. But Sal was around a lot, rehearsing and then, like I said, singing at Coney Island High and stuff. And I remember him, you know, about halfway through the set, like, "Hey, how you know how would you like guys like to hear uh, some Misfits song sung by a, a bald guy?" And everybody's <laughs> like, "Yeah, yeah, great." I'm like, "Okay, so now Sal's gonna sing." Um, I found it confusing because I, you know, it. I, I wasn't always there, so I wasn't steeped in everything that was going on. But I'd come up every few weeks or once a month or you know however often it was, depending on what was going on. And I thought Michael was like, "Yeah, dude, he's the guy. He sings great." Why is Sal B still singing? Nothing against Sal, but I'm like, it, who who is it? Which one is it? Why are we doing two? Um, and it's like doing three drummers. Like, who does that? Oh, we're gonna do that. That's right. <laughs> that, that's right. But well, you know what that what that tells me just from hearing that that information. It just, the 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 conclusion I come to is that maybe they just they were just not completely fully. So, like set they just weren't set on on Mike yet they were yeah. still they were still trying to figure all that stuff out and they were you know who knows who yeah. honestly who knows that's what it sounds like to me yeah um I was gonna uh just two things one we have to take a quick uh commercial break with our sponsor and two um for those of you who might want to uh check it out uh Salby and I actually we used to do a cooking show at his house. On Lodi, on uh, in Lodi on Grove Street, down the street from the old uh, Kayapa compound. Yeah, and uh, yes, on Grove Street, he doesn't he doesn't live there anymore. He moved down to Florida, from mm -hmm. from what I'm told. Mm -hmm. um, but you can check out any of those episodes. We did a Doyle episode that's pretty fun. You can no longer see the uh, the the Graves and Chud for various different reasons, um, but the Doyle episode is still up. And that one's a lot of fun. I recommend everybody go uh, check it out. Uh, what I I was telling, I, I was in on Doyle's tour bus with Sal. And I said, we were doing a thing. Like, I was like, okay, Doyle, can you just say the, um, just say like, uh, you're on rock and roll cooking with Sal B or something. And he like, didn't, he just didn't want to do, he either didn't want to say it. Or he just was like, he's like, I'll tell you what, can you just dub me in? And I'm like, what are you, I'm like, like what? <laughs> But he's like, yeah, just dub me in, just say it. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, that's great, that's great. So I was like, all, right. all worth it. So he just goes like this, and I just spoke the words while I'm filming him, going, "I'm Doyle, yeah, rock and roll cooker with Sal B," and it was so funny. It was such a great. It was such that a great is so moment. Doyle. That oh, yeah, God. Doyle was so Doyle was such a sport about it too. He was just like he's like he like he was just so like honest. He's like, I don't want to say. He's like. He's like, can you just do it? And I was like, I was just thinking in my head, like, what a gag. What a funny yeah, gag. Dub, dub, oh just God. dub me in. Because in his yeah. mind, he's just like, yeah, you could just do that, right? So I'm like, yeah, yeah. sure. So I just literally, yeah. I just said, I just said, mouth it. Mouth mouth your words. And mm -hmm. he's like, not even doing it in sync. You can watch it. The video is on the channel. Check that Classic. out. Classic. Uh, let's take a quick, let's take a quick commercial break here to talk about Riot Stickers. Riotstickers.com is the official sponsor of the Frumis channel. 
Um, we go to Riot Sticker. Riot Stickers is a great place to go for all of your needs. We we love Riot Stickers here. Look at these beautiful stickers. You can see they did this banner behind beautiful. me. Um, That's good. The pins. Yeah, they, they, they do good stuff. They do good stuff. He took my Moonface logo, which is from A Trip to the Moon, the first science fiction film if you've never seen it. It's a great film that's perfectly in public domain. Thank for uh, for copyright reasons, and uh, printed up some great merch. Uh, so go to RiotStickers.com. Check it out. In the meantime, we're going to play a sixty second video. Good. Uh, I have sixty seconds to pee. You have sixty I'm seconds timing. to pee. Ready, set. that go. for timing that was so perfect that was perfect perfect <laughs> that was perfect okay so michael's in the band they've done the first tour mm. they're doing um oh we have a question here from dan this is a good question just to just to start us back dan off better have a good question. Okay. he says grim what do you have left in your collection what couldn't you let go if anything that's that's something i'm kind of curious to know myself um I never wanted to let any of it go, in all honesty. But as we spoke about, sorry, just just my pillow here. When you get old, you got to sit with the pillows behind you. I have uh, one too. <laughs> um, I didn't want to let any of it go. I didn't want to break the collection up, but eventually, I mean, I had to. Uh, but what did I keep? Misfits wise, I have one of each of the Ed Repka crew shirts. Um, I have my crew jacket because it was kind of, it, it has a tank, you know, my name tag on it. It's kind of, kind of personal, uh, misfits wise. I know. I mean, as far as Danzig stuff goes, the one thing I kept was the, the skull that I won from the faces rocks, uh, competition, which is something we we'll, we'll need to talk about. Um, gosh, I, I think that's about it. Wow. Yep. Otherwise, guys, it's all gone. It's all gone. But you can't like listen. That's a good thing. The, the crew jacket with your name. I mean, come on. How, how are you going to let that go? Yeah. You got to. Yeah, yeah. That's you got the skate deck that basically have, retired yeah, I you. I the, the blank coffin skate deck that retired me. Yeah, that retired <laughs> you. Me you on got, my ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know what's interesting too. You said you were talking before about how like you know uh, you know you know you're talking about like um, uh, the idea of almost being you know, singing for the band in some capacity, hmm. you still got to have, I mean, you still got to have your Misfits adventure. Like all yeah. of it still happened. That's what's kind of cool is that like, even if you didn't get that slot, you still got the Misfits experience, the full Misfits experience, the Misfits experience that 
frankly, no one will ever have in that right. kind of way when you think about it. So I remember you know, being in the car with Jerry, which was always scary. When when he drove, it was like you held on for dear life. Um, <laughs> and we were driving and we're listening to uh, well in the early days. I remember him having a a tape, a cassette copy of that Max's Kansas City 1979 Christmas show, unredubbed and play. And I'm like. How do I get a copy of that? Like, how do I ask for a copy of this without sounding like I'm, I'm a fanboy here? Unfortunately, that copy that he had, he lost. God only knows. Who knows? We may never hear it. Um, but the I remember. Oh, the undub oh, stuff oh, oh. exists. It exists. Oh, good. Well, it's out there. The the original tapes, like I said, that, that George baked, you know, they, they were there. So, um, but I remember him saying, you know, okay, so you're not going to be the singer. We're going to find something else for you to do. You're, you're going to work with us. It just it just won't be in that capacity. Um, and then it just I ended up just being the, the merch guy. So right in in the early days in the conventions, um, like when we'd have like the Yurik shirts, the Jerry and Doyle airbrushed, like the black and white airbrushed shirts, where the mm-hmm. the Misfits logo on Jerry's shirt was blue and the the one on Doyle was pink for some reason. Um, we would sell those at conventions. We sold the saber models. Um, I was just around and, and helping with that stuff anyway. So it's like, well, here, just do this at the shows now on, on a much larger, uh, much larger scale. Um, so, and you know, I was already there, like, like we talked about last time I was painting the models. I remember we brought the Jerry model to Chiller theater and it won best. Was it best of show? It won. So it won, it won a blue ribbon for something best of it, it when it, in its category, whatever the category was. Um, so Jerry was very happy. Like, and I remember, I remember sitting down and having like looking very closely at his eyes. He took his glasses off, and I'm just like looking at his eyes, so I could match the three different colors of blue in his eyes. So the model oh. actually has three different blues to like make it exactly like him. Um, I did. I had uh, a picture. I took a photo of his tattoo, and I God, I did this freehand um, with some thin down paint on the model. I painted it on. And then I lightly airbrushed over it to make it look like it was in the in the skin. Um, this model, I mean, it had, it had the, the the guitar strings on the bass. I remember. Okay, so the this would have been when did? Oh my God, guys! There's so much stuff to talk about. Um, going to Chiller Theater Halloween '95 because Halloween '94 was that, when I met. Is that when you guys met Cafiero? Yes, I. Caffiero came to me and said, hey, I'm, I'm John Caffiero from uh, Cheese TV, non-homogenized productions, Cheese TV. Can I just get Jerry to do uh, a spot? And I was like, hey, Jerry, you want to talk to Jerry? Like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Grab the mic. And I remember him saying, hey, this is King Rat. And I was like, That's an, there's another nickname. Interesting. Um, and then uh, it, like the rest, you know, it, it's history, literally. Um but that I remember showing up the night before the convention started. I had the Jerry model painted. I had to do a mold of one of his fingers because there was an air bubble where the thumb was supposed to be. So I had to, I had to cast a thumb and, and replace it. I remember the the base, which is the Crimson Ghost face, was sent down to me separately because Rocky sculpted the base. That was the first thing Rocky sculpted for the band was the crimson ghost face that Jerry stands on the Jerry model stands on, which the, the model was sculpted by Bill Paquette. I don't, I think Jerry sculpted his own base. 
quite literally, like, wow, I, I believe so. So all those pieces came at me separately. I got the figure done that was all airbrushed up. The I, I heard that I, I didn't know that Rocky was a sculptor. So Jerry said, yeah, Rocky sculpted this thing up. I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with it. I'm going to send it down for you to paint, and it's, 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 I'm going to stand on that. So I'm thinking, oh, boy, this is, this is going to be cheesy. If the thing comes in the mail, it looks phenomenal. Like, I can't believe Rocky sculpted that. I'm a sculptor, Tank. I, I sculpt. Um, so I painted that up, and I remember having, like, it was all done, and I kind of did it in more uh, actual, not, not just black and white tones, but, like, actual bone tone. Bone tone. Oh, that's a thing. Um, and then with a can of black, flat black spray paint, like way up in the air, just like, pssst, just like letting it kind of like, yeah, just, dust, a just like little, little time. Like you wouldn't even notice the speckles until you got up close. And like, when you look at like clear photos of the, of the original Crimson Ghost, it always had those speckles. And I wanted right. that. And I got that. Um, but they, so, so I show up the night before, uh, Chiller Theater, 1995. And, I must have, I'm, I had already tried out for the WCW and knew that wasn't panning out. So this was now my, this was my direction. This was going to be my, my, my gig. Um, I get there. I'm rooming with Mike Stacks from Ugly Things. I'm rooming with Corey. F no, Corey was there, but Corey and his girlfriend, Lori, I, they had their own room, but there was like uh, Doug Evil. Okay. I was rooming with Doug Evil, Mike Stacks. One other person and me all in the hotel room with two double beds. And as I hit the door, I'm handed Ken's next sculpture, the the evil the the pushead evil eye wall plaque. And said, "Here, can can you paint this uh, for tomorrow?" <laughs> when the fuck am I supposed to sleep? So guess guess who didn't sleep that night? Yeah, this guy. So I I. <laughs> I don't know what I lined right. the bathtub with, but I remember having to prime this thing black in the bathtub, and that bathtub did not look good when I was done. I don't I know bet. if I got I bet. charged extra for that room, but I stayed up all night dry brushing the stone and washing the the, the blue around the, the... And I walked down the next morning, Jerry Model Dunks. I think I had to finish the uh, the base. I think the first base I got was warped, so they gave me another one, so I finished that. And a finished uh, Evil Eye plaque, and they were all like... Oh my god! Like I, I totally blew them away uh, with with uh, with this. Feels good. It yeah, feels I was good. just gonna say it. It felt good. So that evil eye was the second plaque. Earth AD can sculpted first. So I must have done the Earth AD plaque and then the Jerry model. I did two Earth AD plaques. One that I painted according to the way it was colorized on Wolf's Blood because that's actually like a full color mm -hmm. version of it, as opposed to just the, the purple and green like the uh, Earth AD album cover. Mm -hmm. And then I got a commission. Somebody, some girl, bought one from the the Misfits at a at a at an in store somewhere, and said, "Could could you paint this?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we'll send it down the tank. He'll he'll paint it free of charge." I'm like, oh. thanks a lot." So that one I airbrushed, and it was very different. I just I just kind of went with whatever direction I wanted to go in, and I don't know I don't know what became of that. I know who has the the evil eye and the the Earth AD ones and maybe the Halloween one too that didn't get released. Um, but I don't know who where that, that other pink one ended up regardless. Doesn't Real matter. quick, I just yeah. want to interject here. Um, we are doing a Devil Lock pageant. We're calling it Devil Lock 2 Pagenta Fuge. 
<laughs> and we did uh we did a previous Devilock pageant. That's right. We had people send in pictures of their Devilocks and we rated them one to ten and mm. awarded a winner. And currently I've already announced the second contest and we have a bunch of submissions. Um, but the reason what the, the reason for the holdup is that we might be making the contest even bigger and more epic. So if you have not already, yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to have a, it's it's going to be something else. Um, make sure to send in your entries to videobusinessmedia at gmail.com. Check for the rules. The rules go to the Devil Lock 2 video that has all the rules in the description that's on youtube on this channel and that will give you the full details so send in your entries along with your skulls because that's how yeah. we that's how we it's, roll here it's sad that when i was in high school uh cell phones were not a thing yet because in 1989 i went from having bangs like glenn did misfits era sam hayne era right and i went to mike stacks ugly things one of the best publications ever in print there you go um that i sh i got my hair cut more like a flat top, but kind of Wolverine-ish to where it was like longer in, in the back corner. So it kind of peaked up and then it, it scooped forward in the, in the front. And then my devil lock came down the middle, just, just a few inches past my chin. Um, and then I, sh I dry shaved every <laughs> morning. I took out a razor. Oh my Lord. I shaved the Erie Vaughn widow's peak into it. And then I did the black under my eyes like Jerry, dude, that looked sick. But there's no pictures of it. Oh, no that's a shame. In that era, there, there are later pictures of when like my hair was longer, so it's like pulled back, and there's like actually a small ponytail. But that actual bat wing flat top, thing, like, dude, that it helps if you have a widow's peak. I have a natural widow's peak, so I <laughs> naturally have out. And about a year ago, yeah. I actually had. Um, well, I used to shave the sides of my head, and for like most of 2020, I actually did have a devil lock. I didn't even mean to have one. I just kind of <laughs> did. It was just the yeah. way that I had cut my hair, and hey, it was just kind of cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it definitely, the it devil lock happened for sure. Yeah, um, that, that dry shaving, that widow's peak just made what a difference. I agree. Really, really sold it, yeah. You know, I could have up to 12 people on here. You should be Mike a judge. Landerman, Lord Humongous should be the judge. I agree. I agree. I'm going to I'm going to bother you about that in the future. We'll get you on here to be okay. to be rating devil locks. If anybody if anybody is qualified to be rating a devil, I don't do the, any of the judging. I I just host it. I I have a panel of judges. That's how we did it last time. So. East Coast Tour 96. For some reason, I don't know why Michael just started randomly dedicating the song "Devil Lock" to me. Hmm. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. I was ready to get a Devil Lock tattoo. I thought that was so cool. Um, it was just for whatever reason, like this one. This one's for Johnny Grimm. Devil Lock. Yep, that's great. Rate my Devil Lock. That's tattoo. great. <laughs> Jody Jody Von Ron, Ramon wants you to rate his Devil Lock. Let me ask you about this. This is a legendary story that you actually were the eyewitness for. Hmm. So you, so, okay. So going back to that in between time when, when Graves is not 100% the guy hmm. yet, or at some point after the, after the settlement of everything, um, which reminds me, I, I'm, you, you mentioned that spreadsheet where everything is carved up. That's insane. Yeah. They had an eye. They had itemized every single little thing in order to every song broken down who played what instrument, but also like who might've contributed to this or that, to the, 
the the bridge or the this or the, you know the intro the outro music right because um, it's because it, because it's it's not properly documented it becomes almost like you know you have to like sort of guesstimate how how that how they came together mm -hmm. hmm. um, and I'm, i for some reason that that spreadsheet reminds me like maybe i was going over that spreadsheet in the in the rehearsal room when i was working on one of the things that jerry wanted to offer was if, if you guys remember the boots that he's wearing on the cover of, of walk among us yeah uh, and then a lot of the old the, the vintage photos those engineer boots actually belonged to sid vicious originally uh, sid's mother gave them to jerry they were a nasty feet brand just for those who want to know um which I think Nasty Feet actually has a pocket on the side for like a, a pack of cigarettes, of all things. Wow. Um, but Jerry added all this leather to make them what they were. I mean, he still wore them, again, East Coast Tour 96 in the early days. He was still wearing those uh, after the reunion. Um, they were in pot. I, I, I used to have to help him, like, yank them off his feet every night. They didn't fit. Um, but he wanted to mass produce those boots to some extent. So I had to make a template of what, of of the the variety of leather pieces without taking the boots apart so i'm like i'm like wrapping poster board around this thing and tracing and i'm cutting out and i'm laying out and and i'm doing this on the floor in the rehearsal room and some random guy i'd never met before didn't know who he was comes walking in and just kind of sits down and we just we start chatting he was um pretty much bald like maybe maybe very 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 short and thin uh like crew cut flat topish kind of thing barrel chested kind of a kind of a burly guy and he, he's i'm telling him about what i'm doing and and you know pulling the, the leather template off and marking where all the spikes are and what sizes they are so we can exact replica this this was my future of, co of cosplay who knew this is where it all began um doing exact replicas um and he's talking about like yeah i remember like back in the day these guys just used to like give me stacks of the seven inch records and and i didn't know what to do with them so i just i just like gave them away to people and i'm like okay clearly you're somebody but i don't know who and then what nice guy the conversation whichever way it went then he left and then maybe later i don't know some some somehow i found out that was paulie b oh shit i was just talking to fucking paulie b oh my god and you know why if i'm everybody knows the the show where jerry says fucking paulie b what happened? One Jerry, you know, I, I heard this from the source. What happened was Jerry had a, a wireless rig once he got it, and whatever show that was, he jumped down in the crowd during the song and ran around in the, in the pit playing playing his bass. And when the song was over, there's Paulie B, who was just working security for the guys. I don't know. I might have actually been on tour with them, or it might have been a local gig. Sitting at the front of the stage, he grabs the bass in one hand grabs Jerry the collar of his leather vest in the other hand <laughs> and one-handed lifts him up onto the stage. And Jerry's like, whoa. And he, he goes over to the mic and he's like, fucking Paulie B. Like, dude, dude was a fucking bulldog. Really? I mean, how much does Jerry weigh at that? He's got to be over 200 pounds of, like, muscle, right? He's, like he's Doyle was just always just under 200. He was leaner. So Jerry was probably like just over 200. I mean, still wow. 200 pounds one-handed to, to, to do anything with is like, dude, that's that's no joke. That's no um, joke. So yeah, so when Paulie said to the guy, she spits one more time, I'm punching you in the face. He was like, I don't want to know nothing about that. Um, <laughs> so that was that was Paulie B. I'm sitting here chatting with Paulie B. I had no idea it was, it was him.
So thank God. I mean, he went, he was on the East Coast tour 96 with us. Um, again, kind of a quiet guy, but just, just so basic and, and easy and like got along with everybody and wonder, wonderful man. Anyway, let what were we talking Let me ask you this. No, what I was going to ask you was back in this time, uh, you know, after, oh, you know, what we were talking about after the lawsuit, mm. Jerry and Doyle yeah. decide to go and ask Danzig to be back in the band. And you were there for that. Now, here's one thing I don't understand. So what? So Jerry and Doyle are talking or something They're like, well, we have to try and get Glenn back in the band. Or was it did they know that he wasn't going to do it? Like what? Like what led to what was the motivation behind doing this? Why? I'm sure they knew. I think everybody knew that Glenn was not going to do it. Um, part of the settlement was Glenn had to approve things that they were putting out. And they were working with Doug Evil at the time, so there was like some Doug Evil style cartoony things that they were wanting to make some posters or something. So that's where the the infamous day happened, where we f- somehow we find out that Glenn is staying in the city, staying at a hotel in the city for a, a dancing show, and he's got a couple days off around the, the time. Um, that was the same weekend, I do believe, of going to see his mom and getting the skateboards. Because I believe we mentioned to his mother, like, yeah, yeah, we heard Glenn's in town. And she's like, what? Oh, he, he hasn't called. He hasn't come to visit. Like, wow, really? Anyway, um, so we find out what hotel he's in. Jerry, Doyle, and and uh, Rocky go into the hotel. And we're, we're again, in Doyle's massive Bronco. This thing was freaking amazing. We're, I'm parked across the street in downtown Manhattan where there is no parking. It's like 30-second parking, and you're out, or you or you get the, the freaking boot. So we pop open the hood, and I'm climbed up on this, this massive uh, uh, tow truck grill looking around under the hood. So if the cops come and be like, hey, you know, yeah, I can't get it to start. You'll just bear with me. I'm trying to sort this out so I can I can kill time while the guys are inside. And worst-case scenario, Doyle's like, yeah, if if we if you have to move it, don't use first gear. How am I supposed to get going? He's like, first gear is like granny gear. That's what he calls it, granny <laughs> gear. Because that, that's for like hauling really heavy shit. Like just your normal start and go gear is second gear. I'm like, oh, good to know. Anyway, so they go inside the hotel. And they're like, yeah, we're here to see uh, uh, Mr. Danzig. And uh, the guy at the front desk is like, mm, I'm going to, I'll have to, I can't just send you up. I'll have to call him. So he, he calls the room number and Doyle's like looking over the counter and he sees what number he dials. So uh, Glenn says, no, no, no visitors. And the guy's like, I'm sorry, he's not taking you. And they're like, oh, okay, no problem. So they leave and Doyle heads right to the freaking elevator and hops in. And he goes, and he, so he's got this, so Jerry and, and Rocky are down in the, in the, in the um, because we figured if, if Glenn was going to answer the door for anybody, it was going to be Doyle. For Why? whatever reason, the, the, like it wasn't going to be, Jer- you know, it, it was going to be Doyle. Doyle was going to be the guy that Glenn was like, all right, I'll talk to you. Um, so Doyle goes with the with the, the poster and the whatever whatever stuff we had to get him to approve. Goes up to that room and knocks on the door. And and Glenn Doyle sees the little the little uh, eye hole which was lit up like go dark. And then and then so Doyle's like Glenn, it's me. Come on, open up. He's like, come on, come on. He sees the shadow of the the feet like under the door. And Glenn, come on. He wouldn't open the door. So, um, 
We come, they come back down. It's a bus. We all get, we all get back in the truck. Now we're headed to, um, the lawyer's office that they had for, for the, for the whole case. Um, <laughs> this is, this is so stupid. There was a tradition that the lawyer's office was like on whatever floor of this, this office building in, in downtown Manhattan on the 12th floor on the way up was like NFL headquarters. So if you can imagine in 1995, I guess, um, the, the NFL divisions were, they were all screwed up. If you know anything about, you know, football, where, where team, what divisions teams were in didn't make any sense. So tradition was started where we'd get to the 12th floor. And like the entire floor was the offices for the NFL. It wasn't like you walked through some hallway and found it. It was the whole floor. We'd, we'd deliberately stop on the 12th floor. The doors would open. We would all shout, realign the divisions. And then the doors would shut and we'd keep going up. And, and eventually we did that enough. They're like, oh my God, these fucking guys. Let's realign the division so they can stop screaming at us. And they did. <laughs> now they make more sense. <laughs> um, that's all thanks to the misfits, uh, the misfits NFL sort of, you know, mixture there. So we, we go up to the, to whatever the top, you know, whatever floor it was to go see the lawyer. And we're in like a, a big, uh, meeting room, big long table. And we're supposed to meet with a rep from blue grape who wanted to pick up the, hmm. the merchandising from, from souls ablaze and like make it, you know, bigger, uh, bigger production. And so we're sitting there, we're joking around, talking, talking to the uh, to the lawyer about what just happened. And then the, the rep from Blue Grape comes walking in, not like an hour after we were at the hotel. First words out of his mouth. So, I heard you stop by Glenn's hotel. Ah, uh. what? 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 Did, what? And so the guy, he's, he's he's like, I gotta know, like, how did you guys know where to find him? And Rocky goes, Oh. Yeah, and any anything uh, you know you want to know around around uh, around the city, you just you just ask Jimmy the Tank Pajulo of Brooklyn, he'll tell you. And that was the origins of Jimmy the Tank, Jimmy oh. the Tank Pajulo, not uh, not, and this was very important, not of Brooklyn, uh Brooklyn. And I just I became Jimmy the Tank. Now, question: This mm. guy from what'd you call it? Blue? What was it? Blue gray. Blue gray. Was was that? Was that Robert? No, I don't think so. No, it was not Robert. I but I believe he worked for them I, later. I'm pretty sure it was not Robert. I I didn't. I I got to know Robert many years later. And I'm pretty sure that wasn't him. Right. Right. Um. So tell me about the. So when did, So here's the thing. Uh, Jerry starts working with Caroline Records because Glenn was working with Caroline Records, and Caroline Records was involved in the settlement and whatnot is that how jerry first starts working with caroline caroline well caroline with the court case decided okay this is who's do what now right and this is who is going to get what moving forward and caroline records is going to be the ones responsible for sending divvying that money up to where it needs to go i i forget who the rep was that we worked with he was at the in-store the night of the, the the coffin set release, the coffin box set, um, but he was like their their guy at at Caroline. Uh, so you remember seeing all, Googie? All the court case. Did you see Googie at the at the box set? The only time I ever saw Googie was one of the times I think it was hot the the time the Misfits played the the WWF venue in the city on Halloween. He came down for sound check. 
and tried to play, I think it was Die, Die, My Darling, and fucked it up. And Jerry was like, okay, thanks anyway. Thanks, Google. We'll see you later. He was supposed to play with us, uh, just like a couple songs that I need. He, he couldn't do it. So well, you, you must have been excited for it. I was. I, I didn't know he was coming. I would have been more prepared. I would have had him, you know, sign something for me. But he kind of like, came and went like, pff, gone. And I was like, oh, crap. Okay. Um, let me know. Before the box set came out, there was like a bunch of stuff. There was going to be a Teenagers from Mars single, the Blue Christmas. Tell me about okay, all yeah. those. Okay. So, yeah, the um, the Max's Kansas City redub album was supposed to happen. We even made the shirt for it. Basil Gogos did the artwork. Um, that never happened. Jerry was going to do... I, I had forgotten about this until you just said it. Uh, colored vinyl seven inches of Teenagers from Mars, like four different colors in a, in a, like the same record in a box set four times. Like, okay, but you know, I'm a fan. I'm going to buy it no matter how. Now that makes sense. But back then that must've seemed crazy. Yeah. I'm like, why? Well, the same record for the, why? I remember actually talking to a local record shop and like pre-ordering that, that that's how close it was to like, this was actually going to be a thing. And then it, it got canned for whatever. Jerry put in a bid to do the soundtrack for Mars Attacks. He sent he sent in one or two, like a, maybe a couple of the coffin uh, box sets, and he wrote a little letter like, "Hey, I as a kid I collected these cards. Like this this was where it was at for me." I later, you know, got in, in uh, you know, started a, uh, uh, was in a, a horror punk band. You know, you, you might have heard of us. Here's our, our collection. Um, and then I think all we ever heard back was crickets. Nothing, nothing ever became of it. But Jerry was always, for some reason, it seems from, you know, retroactively looking back on this, hmm. Jerry always was, that's something that, that was a stake that Jerry was chasing for a long time. He was always trying to get a song on a soundtrack because he probably felt that that was the way to opening up to mainstream success. If you wanted to get mm. Scream 2, uh, Mars Attacks, um, uh, uh, Forbidden Zone on, uh, no, no, uh, sorry, uh, Lost in Space, hmm. uh, the Lost in Space soundtrack, and the last one was uh, Planet of the Apes, uh, Forbidden right. Zone. Right. And it oh. just seemed like, yeah, go ahead. Planet of the Apes, Forbidden Zone, Wasaba Sayamaka, Uterave Rama Kong. We played a show somewhere in Florida. I remember the, the venue pretty well because I, I busted my shin open really badly that night. And they wanted to, the, the we were not allowed to use, like Turner Classic, Turner owned the rights to King Kong. They would not allow us to sample that little speech that the, the guy gives before they un, unveil Kong. Um, so we're like, well, fuck it. We'll record it ourselves. Tank's got a good voice. He'll do it. So I, <laughs> this is so freaking. They they wanted to get me like in the headspace in in this in this bar slash venue. Chud's got all his recording gear there. They've actually. I think that I think we had cotton in my mouth to like change the way I was talking a little bit. And they had me holding a flashlight like it was a torch because I don't remember. Maybe the guy holds a torch in the scene, and they gave me the lines. And I remember Jerry working with me because he had worked like with his, his vocal coach. And he's like, the word Kong 
It needs to be Kong. Like that you have to like there's an N and a G in there, and you need to hit them separately. Until it's, you know, Muterave uh, Rama Kong. Like there was a, a hard G at the end of that. And I don't remember all the words, but we recorded it. We took multiple takes. We sent it to Roadrunner. And then they were like, nah, we're not going to use it. I was like, son of a bitch. Really? Um, almost was on the record. Was, almost. I was almost famous. Almost famous. Um, so, wait, where we just got so, what we were talking about. Oh, oh, Jerry was trying to, always trying to get songs on soundtracks. Right. But, but going back even before that, um, the the notion of doing of trying to get this stuff out on caroline before um everything else because at the same time as the misfits are coming back jerry's working with caroline in a, in a in a variety of capacities right to like you know with lyric the lyrics him and mark kennedy are trying to figure out glenn's lyrics if you could yeah. speak to that go ahead talk about that wow one of the first things jerry and i ever worked on together was the day that i met rocky um Okay, this would have been November 94. I had the dream about Rocky the night before, which was part of it was really like really weirdly accurate. But we go over to, to Rocky's house. I, I meet him for the first time. I meet little JR. We called Baby Egg. He's now, you know, a, a, st- a stock exchange guy. Like, holy crap. Um, but we were working on, I remember we had the, the eighth wonder of the world artwork at, at Kenny's dining room table downstairs. And Jerry and I were working on the lyrics that we were going to get. We were we were compiling all that we could. We had Mark Kennedy's version, like everything printed out. And then in red pen, we were changing things that we knew for sure were different than what was printed. And we had a boom box there at Kenny's table and a tape. And we'd play it and rewind it and play it and rewind it and play it. And I think he's saying this there. And I remember the, the line in Teenagers from Mars... When Jerry said, "Oh, I I know for sure," Glenn is saying, uh, "We we don't need no visas or carte blanche." And no, you know, being of the era that I was born in, I remember carte blanche being like a credit card from back in the day that didn't take off like Visa and Mastercard did. And I was like, "Oh my God!" I I as soon as I got home from that trip. I called Mark Kennedy. I got his answering machine, and I I recited the line, we don't need no visas or carte blanche. And he called me back, and he's like, you're fucking kidding me. I'm like, that's the line. Um, Jerry and I listened to Who Killed Marilyn, and we tried to figure those lines out. Nobody knows. The, the X, the H, the at like, what? So we were we put together the best version that we could of the lyrics, sent it to Caroline for Glenn to go through and do his final changes on. Purportedly, from what I heard, Glenn came to the Caroline offices, took the red pen, and started actually working on it. And then for some reason threw the pen down and said, I don't have to do anything I don't want to do and stormed out of the office. And that was the last anybody ever heard of it. At Caroline. At Caroline. At the Caroline. That, that, from what I've heard, again, from pretty reasonable sources, uh, reliable sources, I would imagine this is, this is probably true. Although we do know that Glenn put out his uh, lyric book years later. So I wonder if maybe he had a plan in mind, like 
why am I doing this for them when I should just do this for myself? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why, but that's what I was told. He said, I don't have to do anything. I don't want to do. And he stormed out. And I remember, I, I remember that was around the same time that collection two came out. And, uh, yeah, I just hearing the, the Sam Hain versions of Mephisto waltz and, and the, the cough cool. I'm like, Huh? Why is this on collection? Why? What misfits? No. What? Uh, anyway, yeah. So, I, um, I sent I sent Caroline a list of questions uh, in the eighty nine ninety ish era, saying, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm uh, d- doing yet again another misfits discography for whatever magazine. I probably made some shit up because I just had questions I wanted answers to, and they fucking wrote back. I don't know who it was that wrote back, but somebody actually wrote back." I don't remember what all my questions were. I kind of wish I still had the the, the sheet. Um, but I remember Big Dave and I, like in my car, driving somewhere, and, and he, he like, opened up. He's like, "Oh my god, they, they actually wrote you know all the answers." I think I I think I wrote them down and like left space for them to fill in, and they fucking mailed it back. One of the questions I had was, "I'll see one copy of of you know, Legacy Brutality with the inner sleeve being a white paper sleeve, and another copy it's like clear plastic." Why is there a difference? And they said that that's simply whatever is available at the plant that day is what it got. I'm like, oh, I thought that I thought maybe I'd you know hit a gold mine information. It's like, nope, it's whatever's there. Okay, yeah. Um, I okay, so when you're saying this, and I'm like, listen, when I'm hearing you talk about like Glenn storming out like that, yeah, two things. One, um, I it's my understanding that he really hated collection two. He really was unhappy with the cover, and he was just—he was not happy with the—he was not happy with a lot of the Caroline releases at that time. Number Mm -hmm. one, number two, I think that I think we got Crazy White Boy in the house. How you doing, Crazy White Boy? Yes, the collections are a mess. I agree. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two, I think that it. Bottom line, I think it comes down to Mystique. He's just sitting there. Just like answering all this stuff, and maybe, maybe he has. And again, I'm just speculating, people. I don't know any of these. Mm-hmm. I'm just this is just my surmisation hearing Tank talk. Maybe he's just going, fuck it. Why am I like, why am I giving them all the answers? I don't want to, right. which leads me to this question for you, Tank. Hmm. Is it, is it maggots in the iron lung or is it maggots in the eye of love? What do you think? Don't know. What do you personally think? Don't know. Yeah, but what I, do you I, think? I, I I've probably sung it both ways many times. I I don't know. Why would he I... say? Why would he say there's some kind of love? There's some kind of hate, and then use eye of love. I feel like he it would have to be iron lung because he's not going to use love twice like that so quickly. But that's I don't know. Someone once asked Doyle on Instagram, and his response was the best. He just said. He just said, I play guitar, but he didn't spell guitar. He spelled, <laughs> he spelled guitar as G-T-R. Yeah. I play guitar. That's it. <laughs> right. Yep. That, that, thank you, Doyle. Thank you. That, that was that was a lot uh, from him. He's, he's uh, I fucking love that guy. Um, that's <laughs> I think that's hilarious. That, that yeah. was the response. Um, yep. Doyle's so, sense of humor is just so unusual. I, I fucking love it. Um, a lot of people are weighing in now. Sad boy says it's iron long. Uh, dagger love thinks it's eye of love. And Winston says, that's why I still say iron lung. And I think he's referring mm. to the love thing. 
but um so okay so this is very interesting i didn't know that that glenn had like because i was about to say because you know a lot of people give the lyrics the 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 misfits box set a lot of people give it shit and they're like oh these lyrics they're not correct and i always try and just say i say hey you know mark kennedy and you know i didn't i never actually i'll be honest i'm sorry i didn't realize that you had such a such involvement in that i always just say mark kennedy i say Mark Kennedy tried his best, you know, like that. You guys, oh, you Mark guys Kennedy just tried did. your best. You he know? did all the legwork. And then once right. he compiled everything that he possibly could, he handed it off to, to Jerry and I for, for the finishing touches. So, yeah, that mega hats off to Mark for all that. Yeah. So, I mean, look, the, the, it's half of that stuff. And then, yes, Glenn did release two sets of lyrics books. But here's mm-hmm. what's interesting. And they're, depending on who you talk to, some people think. Um, that some of those lyrics might not even be 100% accurate either because it's just Glenn, you know, trying to remember. I mean, Glenn had to like, Glenn had to like go online to like figure out, you know, certain lyrics like himself. Like he doesn't know, like he doesn't remember these things Mm -hmm. like definitely in some way, shape or form. So it's like doing the lyrics books, they might, who knows if those are even 100%. Well, having, having seen a couple of the Misfits reunion shows, I can tell you, Glenn doesn't remember the lyrics. Yeah, he probably, but, but he's the author, it. so it's just like fuck you. Yeah. I say what the lyrics are to him in his whatever mind, whatever right? I want them to be is what they are. Right, yeah. and so that's that's just what it is. It's like you know, there's that refrain at the end of um, there's the refrain at the end of uh, what you call it um, uh, Astro Zombies. Uh, it's there's nothing there, but there used to be a here come the da 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 da. Yeah, you're singing something, right? And and he changes it. He used to change it all the time, and it just was whatever. And the lyrics were very fluid. And that dude just you know doesn't care about history, doesn't really want to give people answers. It it all fits for him, right? Like who cares? Who cares if I? Uh, who cares if it's not, it, it is, it's whatever, you know, in that kind of way. Right. So mystique as dagger is saying, exactly. It's yeah. just mystique. Yeah. And, and a lot of line. the reason why this band is as big as it is, is because of mystique, you know? <clears throat> yeah. None of us saw them back in the day. So it's, it's all hearsay. It's all legend. It's all mystique. Jody says, here comes the Astro Zombies and they're, here come the Astro Zombies, they're gonna rip up your face. That that fits. Hmm. That kind of fits. I don't know. Where, Jody, where did you get that from? It's pretty cool. I like it. So, so, Jer- so Jerry's putting together these, he's trying to put together these releases. None of them are flying. None of them are coming out. Why? There was just- a Mars Attack 7-inch was supposed to come out. I don't know whatever happened to that. It didn't happen. Damn. Yep. Just didn't 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 stick, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then the the band they go out. There's I know that there's another European tour after the box. There's a box set signing. They do a European tour. Um, tell let's I guess we should just jump into American Psycho. Okay. What how how does American Psycho come about? Obviously, they're writing. They're taking riffs from Christ the Conqueror and repurposing some of them for those songs. What's going on? Uh, I mean, the only riff that I can I can say for sure was was Christ the Conqueror was uh, Fives, uh, and then later uh, Kong at the Gates was from um, Christ the Conqueror. Uh, but I do know 
I th- th- they they all wrote songs and they just like threw them into the into the kitty and played them and played them and played them and then it got whittled down to what was actually ended up on the album, which I think is kind of actually how an album usually is uh, is put together. Uh, you, you weed out the weak stuff and, and you stick with the with the winners. I do know um, that Walk Among Us was not originally Walk Among Us. Ooh. If you think of, of the chorus, you know, where it says Walk Among Us, the original chorus was... Any guesses? Um, <laughs> it, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. It was Brontosaurus. What? It was Brontosaurus. What? <laughs> Why? How? Explain. Michael and Chud worked on that one. And I think it was Chud that told me it was originally Brontosaurus. And they changed it to Walk Among Us. I, you know, people, when you're writing a song, sometimes you just put something in for the mm-hmm. melody, even if it's yeah. not the proper, a placeholder. Mm-hmm. That's probably, I could imagine it's like, we don't know what goes here, but it's got it. We're just singing Brontosaurus. Although it's so, it's amazing how Brontosaurus, uh, br- I mean, it's a brilliant metamorphosis. Hey, why don't we say Walk Among Us? Because there's a Misfits album called Walk mm-hmm. Among Us. It works. It yeah. totally works. That's, that was, that was a good move. Yep. On their part. Yep. Um, were you around for the recording of the album? Not the recording of it. Um, the, I mean, I, what, what that came out, what, 99? 96 or 97. Now we did a couple of tours. Yeah. So it came out pretty early, but I, I know we did a European tour, the East Coast tour 96, uh, the, the fall tour 96. There was some touring that was happening prior to the release of, of American Psycho, where we just maybe played. 97. It came out in 97, 97. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Um, and so are they getting songs? Are, are, are songs in 96, though? I do know, like, I remember there was a boot called The Shocking Return of the Misfits, mm-hmm. and there's three new songs on it or at the time mm-hmm. it was like the hunger black light. And I forgot one, one of the other ones. And those are the earliest new misfits. There was going to be, I, I God, my, my memory here. I think there was going to be a black light glow in the dark seven inch with the hunger on the back. That that's ringing a bell right now. Wow. Black light seven inch again, that never, never happened. So yeah, the, the the songs were being like slowly brought in into the set, like even before American Psycho was brought out. Um, I remember that we had to get a sampler for Devil, Devil, um, stuff like that was being sampled, and and uh, I think Morgan was yeah Morgan was the drum tech at the time, so it was his job to hit certain keys at certain times. Devil, Devil, and then, and we made we made our own samples uh, that we just goofed around with. Um, and my, mine was we were watching uh, uh, heavy metal on the bus on the on the RV as we were driving through um, Death Valley. It was so God. We were all sitting there like with our shirts off, the air conditioning, like anything. It was like 112. Um, but we're watching uh, uh, heavy metal, and the Captain Stern story comes on, 
and they're they're talking to Hanover Fist, and he's oh, Captain Stern's the kindest, gentlest, nicest man you ever met. And and I've seen this movie a million times. I love this this section, this Bernie Wrightson section, which I'll tell you about how he draws pictures uh, here momentarily. Um, and so I knew what the line was before it came up, and and he goes, and I go, oh, give me a break, and like everybody turns at me like, what? Like how, how did you know? I've I've actually seen this one before, guys. So that became a tank shtick was for me to say, oh, give me a break. So they recorded me um, saying that, and it became a sample. And there was the Johnny Grimm song they would they would do during sound check. And Morgan would be back there, oh, oh, give me a break. Oh, oh, give me a break. And um, Michael would just make up songs crooning about Johnny Grimm. And I remember Ken saying, like, this is a good fucking song. Like, we should record this and put this out. And we're, they were just goofing around. Um, and oddly enough, like, maybe we should have because we could have been top top uh, 10. Who knows? The song by Tears for Fears, Shout, probably their biggest hit. Oh, yeah. It was a song that they would play during sound check to check the mics. There's a shout, 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 let it all out, shout, shout. Something they freaking made up and somebody was like, that's actually a pretty good song. Wait a minute. You're telling me that that like Jerry and Mike and whatever would just say shout, shout. No, no, no. Tears for Fears would sing these, oh, okay. these goofy, Got these it. goofy songs that you just do in sound check just, just I get it. until everything's wired, you know, dialed in and then you actually play. Some of them are actually good fucking songs that you might right. record and release because you could be the next Tears for Fears. Well, there's a bunch of sound check. There's like all these set. There's like talons of steel or something. Talons of steel, spider baby. I think was spider baby. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of those that are just they were never recorded, but I guess they are misfits they songs, yeah, songs right? I'm sure they were recorded somewhere, probably like you know, on a crappy uh, session recorder or something like that, but never, uh, never bootlegged and, and got out to the to the light of day. So, monkey's paw. Um, Having a copy Monkey's of that. Paw was one of the 99 ones. Uh, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember? Oh, God. Uh, what was Oh the Jekyll and Hyde song that that Mike, Mike and uh, Jerry were t- working on this song called Jekyll and Hyde. Do you remember anything about that? No, I don't. noodling around. No. Um, so they're out on the road. They're putting together. They're slowly introducing songs into the set. It sounds like a pretty democratic songwriting process in terms of whoever has something is going to bring it in, and we're all just sort of going to hash it out and Mm -hmm. and see what's what. Yeah. Um, Were you around for any of that actual songwriting workshopping? I the stuff I was around for would have been more for Famous Monsters. I was with Michael when he was writing Saturday Night. Um, I was with him when he was writing Fiend Without a Face. Um, and I remember him writing the line, see the features of my rage. And I was like, dude, that's fucking heavy. Um, I remember the original lyrics for Helena were not, uh, draped and displayed. It was brutally raped. Yeah. And, uh, I don't, I don't know who it was. Might've been Jerry, but they were like, no, no time out. That's, that's, we're not, if you listen to, uh, American Psycho and Famous Monsters, there's no curse words on those albums. Right. They weren't about to talk about rape either. And and again, that's you know, I know you do Jerry for the kids. For the kids. Right. That, that was true. It was this was for the kids. This is an album that for the kids. It's for the kids. 
Everybody not going to go for the kids. So, yeah, parents didn't need to worry about what their kids were listening to. This was, you know, it's a crazy album, but we're not talking about rape. We're talking right. about the drapes. <laughs> the right. Drapes. Right, but, uh, but you know, it was yeah. a good. It was a. It was a very. Uh, what's it called? The lateral. It was a great lateral pass right. in terms yeah. of uh, it was. just altering it to be draped and displayed like that. It mm-hmm. still works very well for that song in that way. Um, even yeah. if it takes out some of the bite uh, in that kind of way. But I mean, listen. Later, later on, after you left, I mean, Jerry was singing "Last Caress" and he's singing "I Fed a Baby Today." instead of you know what do you yeah, well, what it was supposed to be I, I have a seven-month-old daughter at home and one of her favorite songs is blister in the sun <laughs> and so Faye changes the lyrics to uh you know let me call mom oh mommy <laughs> like she's like i i can't i can't sing the real lyrics to her yeah I'm, fair enough it's <laughs> yeah. fair fair enough fair enough so you know um, what you got to do as, as a parent that's, what that's sure. tell me about the misfits getting involved with daniel ray and who Daniel Ray was and what he he was, I mean, he was kind of integral in the creative process to an extent, would you say? Right. Yeah, I I don't know how they got involved with him. I, I only met him a few times. I was never in the studio when they were, you know, recording it. There was no need. I was the merch guy. I didn't need to be there. Um, but I I, I know I think he and Dylan, who was our our tour sound guy, didn't always see eye to eye. Or maybe maybe that was uh, what's his name from Roadrunner. Uh, oh man, whoever our rep was from Roadrunner. And anyway, I, yeah, I, Daniel Ray. I, I just I knew I knew he added the keyboard to Descending Angel, and that made like a world of difference. Um, he had the beginning. He had Michael talking at the beginning of Scarecrow Man. Um, oh no! Oh, oh my God! So, th- th- this is one of the reasons why you play songs live before you commit to the to the final recording. That's what it was. After recording Scarecrow Man, Michael started doing a little intro. And uh, was that was that? You know, how about a little fire, Scarecrow? And that it like it didn't it did it wasn't recorded for the album, but live it was a different take and it was better. Um, Scream went through some changes before it went to final recording as as they played it live each night. Like okay, we're gonna we're gonna switch switch this and switch that. So it'd be interesting to hear some recordings of those earlier versions and see how they compare to the to the final take. Uh, but Daniel Ray, he did something with uh, Helena, the beginning guitar of Helena being like kind of in a radio. Sounded like it was in a radio in a room. It wasn't full on yet, and then it kicks in. That was his his idea, and it, it like yeah, that worked, Daniel. Thank you, that did it. Um. So yeah, maybe it wasn't him that that maybe maybe it was the the guy from uh, Roadrunner whose name escapes me that Dylan didn't get along with. It seems like every uh, now uh, label rep ended up <laughs> screwing the band over. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've talked and I've talked about this. And when we've done the Jerry's Kids episodes, we focus on Jerry. We somehow found we found an interview with Jerry from 1983. Then we found one from 1993. Then we found one from 2003, and then we found one from 2013. So it was sort of fun to see Jerry to to visit with Jerry every ten years and right, see right. where he was. You know, uh, in in sort of like how he you know carried on 
mm-hmm. with the misfits and the name and everything. And right. one thing, yeah, I mean, one thing is is quite clear, and it really goes back to the time with Glenn is this idea of like, hey, we used to like be in control of everything, and then we got signed to a major. And the major, like every time we're with a major, we have like this horrible time. And he's just like, fuck it. I'm just going to do my own thing called Misfits Records. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Jerry, Jerry went into the, into the Geffen offices with this idea, that idea, and this other idea. And they were like, oh yeah, great. Jerry, thanks. That's great. And then they ended up taking all those ideas and doing them with Rob Zombie. And Jerry was like, those were my ideas. Fuck this. I'm, I'm fucking out of here. So Yeah. Um, and then whatever happened with Roadrunner. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're gonna push that. We're gonna push you. Oh, wait, wait, Cold Chamber. Yeah, okay, no, they got the push now. It's all agenda, it's it's corporate. Is that why that was the exit from Geffen was over? They stole his ideas and gave them to Rob Zombie. I I believe so. I'm Mm. not 100%, but that's my understanding. Gotcha, gotcha. So, allegedly, that might have been one of the reasons why the misfits moved from Geffen out of Geffen and mm-hmm. over to Roadrunner. And, now, and this, this is a reoccurring theme that you hear from like just every band. Oh, the, the label's going to, they promise you this, they promise you that, they promise this other thing. And in the end, you got like, you got scratch. Yeah. Here's, here's your record. See ya. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, before we, I'm going to, we're going to take one more uh, sponsored break and I'm going to get a new seltzer. And then we're going to, I mean, we're slowly Can winding down here. Rain um, energy drinks. Oh, Drink I am down. a big fan. Big fan of that. I, uh, I, I, I couldn't survive without them. No. Uh, what's that brand called? Uh, something with an E. What's it called? Um, the one you're drinking right now. Eternal? Rain. No. Oh, rain, no. rain. 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 They make the orange creamsicle. That's mm, yeah. so good. They have the cotton. Ca- they have some great flavors. I like the flavors. jalapeno strawberry. What? I didn't even yeah. know they made that. Yep. Dude, everybody, yo, rain is what's up though when it comes to there's zero yeah. sugar. Yep. They have a lot, they really give you energy. They hydrate you. I'm a big fan of rain. Yep. Big fan. I they they have 300 milligrams of caffeine right. uh, per large kit. But I'll tell you, I found something even better. What? And I, I swear, where's my che- Panera? Where's my check? I went to Panera on our our uh, my, my uh, Faye and I's anniversary of the year uh, when we met, June 8th. And they have three different lemonades. One of them's a mint lemonade, which I'm like, sold yeah that have per large are 386 milligrams of caffeine oh my and i i ordered some stuff to go so as i'm waiting i'm sucking this thing down because i'm just i'm hot i'm thirsty okay by the time the food comes up my thing's empty so i go back for my free refill yeah by the time the evening's done i've had like 800 milligrams of caffeine (laughs) which 11 o'clock rolls around i'm still like but good for you but two o'clock in the morning rolls around what you just popped your eyes open? Fucking wide awake, and I was up for the for the day at that point. So watch out. Yeah, can I make a recommendation to Tank and to anybody else who's listening to this? I've talked about this several times. I'm a firm believer of this. Now, I have a weighted blanket, and I got to tell you, it took me a long time to get one. But there's, I can't explain it. And you know why I love weighted blankets? It's like, it's kind of like yoga. They tell you you need surgery, and you do yoga, and then the yoga ends up helping you, and you don't have to cut yourself open or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor, by the way, and you shouldn't listen to anything that I say because I'm not a doctor. You should always go to a doctor. Yeah, you should always go see a doctor for any problem that you have. All I'm going to say is I love the idea of having a weighted blanket and that I literally, like, it knocks me out in two seconds. I fall asleep. There's something about it. 
And I love the idea that like, I don't have to take a pill. Like I don't have to take a sleeping mm -hmm. pill. I don't have to take anything. Yeah. It's like this natural way of helping me to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And there's something about the weighted, the weightedness of the blanket. It just, it has like the coddle, the swaddling effect, like mm -hmm. the, that sort of thing. And I get the best sleep at night from having a weighted blanket. Uh, they're not cheap. They're, you know, you can get mm -hmm. one for like $85 on sale on, on Amazon. I'll tell you something. Mm -hmm. It is an excellent investment. Everybody should go and check out the weighted blanket. And it's not wow. just for sleep. It also like mentally, like it makes me feel, yeah. I can't explain it. I just, I, my, it, it, it's really gotten me through some, some tough it's times. It's like a primal security it. thing. Yes. From what I heard. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, we we totally. got one, and I I didn't need it. I I have literally, quite literally, fallen asleep standing up. I was standing in line <laughs> waiting for the for the Doctor Doom ride at Universal, and I whatever bag I was holding, I it, it <laughs> hit it. it hit the floor, and I, I reached over to pick it up, and and uh, my my crew looked back at me like, "Did you just fall asleep standing up?" And I was like, "Yeah, I, I did." Yeah, um, but we got that weighted blanket. It actually gave my wife uh, like anxiety having the, the really weight yeah. That's what Keith is saying. Like He's saying that it's too claustrophobic for a weighted right. blanket. Right. I have not had that problem, but everybody's yeah. different. Everybody's, everybody's different. All I'm going to say is weighted blankets are awesome. We're going to be right back and then we're going to talk. We're going to kind of wind down here. We got what we're going to try and go into 1997 and we'll, we'll be back to uh, continue this, this long journey. Okay. So um, th this sponsored ad is actually t-shirt related. That's right. I design and I sell t-shirts. If you ever want to support the channel, this is a great way to do it. Obviously, I'm so grateful for you guys watching. And by the way, everybody should subscribe. If you're not already subscribed, leave a comment, yada, 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 all that good stuff. Um, but if you, if you like t-shirts, if you like interesting pizza themed punk t-shirts, this is the way to go. Uh, enjoy another one of my little uh, recorded ditties. T-shirt casualty, T-shirt casualty, very tight. T-shirt casualty, T-shirt casualty, very tight. I wish Jeff made some T-shirts too. Hold on, I think he does that too. I can order them in the description. And we're back. I promise there's no more of me singing on this episode. That was the last time Gone. you have to hear it. Before the show, Jeff and I were talking about this uh, this insane list of brainstorming I came up and emailed to him. And I'm actually looking at the list now, and I'm like, dude, you are insane. Um, Oh, my God. Like. Have we even scratched the surface on this list? We we got you. You mentioned a couple of things. You a folded couple. them really well into the conversation. I thought you did a good job. Yeah. Well, I, I did want to uh, pay a little more service to the memory of of Elizabeth. Yes. Um, Why don't we do that right now, please? Yeah. Go ahead. So, 
I first met Elizabeth at a record convention, I'm going to say in Maryland. I was there with uh, Big Dave Smith, who was the older brother of my girlfriend from my senior year. Um, another fellow who was taken from us too early. Um, about, a, about a year or so ago, he, he had a heart attack. Um, but he and I, we like back in the early days, he and I were the guy, we were the brothers grim. Uh, we started out as Johnny's favorite and Frank Cotton, but together we were Johnny, uh, Jonathan and Francis Grimm. Um, so we were at this convention scooping up everything we could, which there wasn't like any, you know, rare misfits vinyl, but like this was, you know, Danzig was out at that time. So like John Christ and Erie Vaughn guitar picks and, and uh, the, the inverted cross tour laminates and posters, like whatever we could get our hands on. Uh, that we didn't already have, we were scooping up. And then this, this random kind of goth looking girl, long black hair was kind of following us around and everything we weren't buying. She was scooping up. <laughs> and at first we're like, what, what the fuck? Uh, but then we, obviously she's a fan. So we get to talking to her and um, you know, we must've exchanged numbers and, and, that's where it all started. But I remember going back to Dave's house uh, after the convention and his, his younger sister, Debbie was there. And like I said, my girlfriend and we're telling, yeah. So this, we, we met this girl, Elizabeth, you know, she's a big fan. She was following us around. I got her number and Debbie's like, who is she? A killer. Like, like you know, typical uh, uh, jealous girlfriend fashion. I was like, no, 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 it's, it's not like that. Don't worry. It's, it's cool. Um, so yeah, we must've exchanged numbers because there wasn't Facebook or even email back then. Um. Oh, I lost Jeff. Jeff, where'd you go? Are we still live? Hello? Can can, can anybody hear me? Hello? Uh, Jeff must have frozen. I don't know if we're still feeding. Anyway, I'll keep working on this. Um, We must have uh, just, you know, from exchanging numbers, started talking to each other and, and realizing, yeah, you're, you're a collector. I'm a collector. She was, I think, a fan of... Uh, um, Sisters of Mercy, if I'm not mistaken, and and Fields of Nephilim, st gothy stuff like that. Maybe, maybe we're completely oh, gone. You're back. You're, yes. You're back. Did you you're back. could you hear me when okay. I was saying, "Oh man, I froze." Blah blah blah. No, no, I was still rolling with it. I'm still. Yeah. Keep fan. going. Keep going. You this know, happens hey guys, sometimes. Need, do we even need this? This guy. I can't, it's so hard to do this. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I know, I know. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to point. You, you think gotta, you're pointing. It's I know, I know. I have that problem all the time. <laughs> There's so many episodes like that where I'm like, I'm like pointing in the wrong direction. I don't know. No, it's really hard. Look, see, I just messed it up. I just, I meant to point. I meant to point this. <laughs> I meant to point that way. No, um, so, so if that hard. happens again, if that happens again, it happens from time to time with the, uh, with the connection. Uh, my, I'm so sorry. Continue yeah. on about Elizabeth. All right. So, yeah. So, so Jeff needs to pay his, his internet bill and then we'll, we'll proceed. Um, Precisely. so yeah, so, so I'm, we must've, you know, touched base, called each other and just gotten, you know, learned that, uh, like I said, she was, I remember her I'm pretty sure she was a big, like sisters of mercy fan. And then kind of like heard about Danzig, the first Danzig album having come out. So she gave it a listen and was like, Wow. And then learned, oh, this the singer used to be in these other bands. Let me let me find them out. So it was interesting that they were, that we were both huge fans of of all of Glenn's stuff, 
But I came in on the Misfits side and worked my way up to Danzig, and she came in Danzig and worked her way back to Misfits. Right. Uh, regardless, the love was was still the same. Um. So, yeah, I guess I like early on. I mean, we we did we did the long way back from Hell tour together that we talked about right. last episode. Um, I mean, I remember we we were we were up in New York and Allentown, Pennsylvania, and we ended down in Atlanta, but we were over in Detroit at one point. We were all over the place, and gosh, she was you know. Bless her heart. Uh, you know, I, I talked about eating ravioli sandwiches out of my suitcase last right. episode because I, I had no money. Um, so I all, all the money I'd saved up for that tour went to, you know, half the hotel rooms, share of gas and tickets and and ravioli sandwiches. So like when the tour ended and we actually went back to her apartment, like she, I remember she took me out to eat that last night. I mean, it was Pizza Hut, but still, it, 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 you know, she took me out to eat. Um I remember that was she. She got a white pizza, and I'm like, "What's a what's a white pizza? Pizza Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. That's now, you know. I love white pizza. (laughs) Um, but uh, man, what we 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 would talk a lot on the phone just about what like what the music did for us, and like kind of deep sort of goober existential existential stuff, like. Right, uh, just because we were we were both just so so into it, um, and so she, if again, I, I could be wrong, I could be right. I'm sure somebody could correct me. I think her day job was something like uh, putting together, uh, was it like scholarships for dental something? I, some Later clarity. on, she worked for the government. Eventually, oh. she worked for the government. I don't okay. know how when that started, but that was yeah. ended up that ended up helping her. It was, I believe, it was that job that allowed her to have the t- sort of medical care that she needed mm-hmm. much, much later on. Okay, something like that. So yeah. I don't know when that started, but I know she worked for the government. Right. Yeah. Well, I know when, like, going back thirty years ago, nineteen ninety one long way back from hell tour she had a job where she was able to take off two weeks um and and still have a job kudos to her um so the, but that but that job i know that was like the day job that paid her bills what the money she made to actually put her misfits collection together was a side project that she had uh called amarna productions and i, I remember getting a, a something from her in the mail that came from amarna productions i'm like what, what the hell is that so I asked her about it, and she said she was a big equestrian uh, fan. She loved horses, so she would go to like Toys R Us and buy the toy, like vinyl horses. And she was very, very talented. Like she built models. Like she put me to shame with her her abilities. Um, she would cut these horses up, repose them in more realistic poses, bondo them back together, and sand them totally glass smooth cut off the, the plastic tail on the mane, put real horse hair on them, airbrush them with like realistic markings that that particular type of horse would have and then would sell them to collectors for good money. And so if you can imagine her doing this, like I said, early 90s, there was no internet. There was there was no network. Like whatever network she built, she built from the ground up and not sure how she did it, but that was that funded her following Danzig around and going, you know, buying all these, these crazy records and stuff. So I thought that I always thought that was really cool. I remember there was a, a an old, uh, Johan model called the heavenly hearse. It was actually a hearse, a model of a hearse, a, a car model of a hearse 
but it was the heavenly hearse. It was all like uh, hippie flowers and stuff on it. It was the stupidest thing. Um, but I, I wanted that. And then, then, then there was the Ecto-1. And I, I knew that like an ambulance and a hearse back in the in the 50s and 60s, they were the same vehicle. It was just dependent on how they were done. But the Ecto-1 had stuff on the, on the roof. So I, I wanted these two hearse models. I gave her the Ecto-1 and she removed the stuff that was on the roof and then bondoed the rest and sanded it smooth and sent it back to me. And it was like, it was, it was perfect. So she was a very talented, uh, very talented artist. Her um, apartment was full. When I went over there about 10 years ago, her apartment mm-hmm. was full of horse stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I always assumed, thank you for filling in the gaps there. Cause I just always assumed I, that's what sort of alerted me to this notion that like, my God, there's like a whole, well, there's a niche for everything, but mm-hmm. I was like, my God, I guess like, there's like a whole people, there's like all these people that are into like horses or yeah. something. Cause she's got like, and, and this, the stuff that she had, I mean, the, the she had paintings and portraits. She had a couple of Irivan, she had an Irivan, Edgar Allan Poe mm-hmm. um, sort of thing. Like just, just incredible, incredible stuff that was not necessarily misfits sam hayne or danzig related tyson is joining he's this is his first live stream so welcome everybody give tyson a welcome welcome to our live stream and um just thanks for being here man thanks for being here yeah um her apartment i her apartment was in dc she lived or somewhere in that that area Uh, maryland it was in maryland Maryland, right maryland and i was there with mark it was me her and Mark Kennedy. I think we mm-hmm. talked about this in the last episode, yeah. and we we did our uh, we did our interview things I, there. I want to I want to say Gaithersburg, Maryland. I, for some reason, I remember it being in Gaithersburg. She had a, a she had a lovely residence, and like I said, her collection. Guys, I like looked over. There was just like a stack of boxes. I think she was just rearranging stuff, mm-hmm. and right on a box, just casually there was like you know Doyle's like choker that he wore when he first joined the Misfits with the skull like it's something that you've seen in a million photos and if you're a big fan Mm -hmm. of this oh did we lose him again come on just recognize what it is and it was just there yep just hanging there really yeah just hanging there i mean she was just she was good people man she really was yep and i'll tell you something you know she would one last thing about elizabeth before we move on um she would uh, towards the end in her battles and her struggles with her um you know she 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 had cancer and she was so brave she was such a brave woman that she would she would share all of her experiences with people on facebook and tell everybody what she was going through and she just would never gave up man she never gave up she was always it was never like it was never a poor me it was always just like this is what's going on with me and mm-hmm. i'm just trying my best and keeping my chin up and trying to do my thing and she was very she was supposed to go to a danzig show on this last run danzig was tiger army right right yeah cuz yeah, she loved like loved tiger army yeah yes she used yep. to shoot nick 13 when he had his so Polo band. She would go. Yeah. She was following him around. I bumped into her at one of those shows, and um, she was she was she was bummed that she couldn't make that last Danzig show, but that she was there to show up for her health and right. do what was needed. And you know what? It it, it ended up being her time. But yeah. she just she did what she had to do to take care of herself. And um, and you know, she used to post pictures of her like what she looked like. Yeah. You know, with her in her state as a result of battling such afflictions 
And I thought it was so brave of her to just be like, this is me. And Hey, like, you know, uh, I'm fighting. And I just, I always admired her strength. Always. I always left a comment and just was like, just thinking of you, Liz, keep going, keep right. going. Right. And she did. She fought as long as she could. Yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, we, we kind of lost touch, uh, when we actually kind of lost touch, like I said, in the, in the early days, Jerry was like, make sure Elizabeth gets all these skateboards. No problem. I'll, I'll make sure that happens. And, and I don't, I don't remember, did I go to her apartment and give them to her? I don't remember how that transaction took place. I'm pretty sure that would have been the case. Uh, I went there. Um, but uh, once once the, the resurrected misfits went back on tour, we were I know Jerry, we were all kind of hoping for Elizabeth's like seal of approval, and we didn't get it. Um, she she I, I don't want to say she chose side, but she she was more in the in the Glen camp and and I was right. in, more in, in the Jerry camp because well, that, that's my job. this is what I do this I'm over here right. Um, and, and not that that like drove a, a rift between us or anything like that, but it's just we we just eventually we kind of lost touch. Uh, we reconnected again years ago on Facebook when like all my Lord Humongous stuff was like kind of getting out there and showing up and not just on my page but like around. And then she she like reached out to me I'm like, hey, you know how you doing? You know, re- reconnected. I'd get a Christmas card from her every year with with a, with an epic blurb. It was always two sides of a like fully printed out page of. Of everything that had gone on in that that year, and photos of like Tiger Army and and stuff, you know, stuff that she was taking, but all the stuff that she was really into, that she was always uh, so so passionate about. That was definitely uh, that was definitely her. A big Alien fan, she had uh, Jonesy the cat. Got to got to give her a little tip of the hat for that. Um, but yeah, she uh, that that one's rough. Losing her was 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 rough. She she is she was just beloved in this community, truly. So we again we this whole show is dedicated to her and her memory. Um, yes, you're just putting that out there. Yes. Yep. Um, now, I want to talk about. I don't know what you remember, or if you want to talk about this, or can talk about this, but there's that something happened historically that sort of began was i guess maybe you could even say the very beginning of what eventually would fray apart and it was that you had you did these shows i think it was at the the 9 30 club or it was somewhere in i think it was somewhere in dc and michael michael graves gets into a fight or something and okay. that ends up having reverberations that would sort of last for the duration of that era of the band um, do you remember any anything any of that, or can talk about it or anything like that? I'm curious. Are we talking about the night Michael got arrested? Or I don't. About- I just know that mm-hmm. whatever happened led to him not being able to go into Cal uh, Canada, okay. right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So the the venue was. Uh, it might back then. It might have still been called Capital Ballroom. It later became Nation. Yes. Um, but Capital Ballroom was like the new 930 Club's main competition in D.C. for uh, a, a rock, you know, or a, a venue in, in general. Um, they both had their merits. Um, so we played there. I was doing merch. I didn't see it happen because the merch, I didn't have a view of, of the stage. But from what I heard, um, Michael was having a hard time hearing because of the monitors weren't dialed in right it was a sound and guy right it was it, well the monitor guy would be would be a sound engineer it wasn't ours it was a house guy 
Uh, and we always had uh, house guys. We only had Dylan at the front of the house running the, running the sound that the fans heard. But what, what the band heard was somebody on the side of the stage that worked at the venue running that soundboard just for the monitors. Um, so Michael couldn't hear. So he was telling the guy what he needed. And apparently the guy wasn't coming through with what he needed. And an altercation started during the show on the stage where some a physical fight broke out between Michael and the monitor guy. And like the monitor guy got pantsed. <laughs> how or why i don't know like i said i couldn't see it but i remember rachel his girlfriend coming over to me at the show and like where, where's michael i'm like huh isn't he on the the stage like what the band's but apparently the police came and he ran off and they nabbed him for assault and he Oy. ended up uh staying staying the night in jail that night and uh, it, it was it was really stupid. Okay, the two two guys get in a fight. Does somebody have to go to jail for that? Nobody got stabbed. Nobody got shot. Like, what are we talking about this for? The guy was just been out of shape because he got pantsed on stage. Is what what it really came down to. So that went on his permanent record as an assault charge. Now you can't go to Canada. That's going to be a problem. And then the next couple of shows. He can't. He's not even performing. He's not even performing. So I guess Jerry, if I remember correctly, Jerry sang. Must did guys from did guys from Anthrax or Cannibal Corpse sing? Do you ever remember any of that? I don't think George would have sung any. Uh, George from Cannibal Corpse. I don't think he would have sung any songs. Anthrax. John Bush. Scott. I don't maybe? know. I don't know. Um, listen, mm. listen, no matter what questions I ask you, you were the guy who was there. So I yield to whatever you think is probably what it is, is what it is. Maybe Jerry sang, but in any I'm case, thinking Jerry sang, I'm thinking Jerry sang. I mean, you have yeah. this issue now where you got a guy and this is something that would plague Jerry for, you know, forget about just graves. I mean, he mm -hmm. had a lot of trouble with robo as well. It's it just yeah. where you have a member who, for whatever reason, whether it's legal or whatever the situation is, cannot go to a place where the band needs to go and it, it wasn't create... it was it was robo has a colombian passport right and a, and a and a green card so he's right. not an american citizen so when we go to the eu it creates red tape. Us american yeah. citizens we walk right in the front door he's not an american citizen he needs yeah. totally different paperwork different visas but then when we go try to go to the czech republic all of us americans need paperwork and robo's like see you guys later i'm going in like <laughs> you know it was always always a juggle. And and that had even plagued Robo going back to when he was in Black Flag, because he mm -hmm. was in Black Flag, and the reason why he ended up in the Misfits was because he got stuck in England, and they were like, we got to go, Robo. Yep. They left poor Robo, got stuck there, and yep. then he wound up in, he wound up in the yep. Misfits. So Yeah, and I mean, as the tour manager in, in the era that Robo was in the band, I, I was the one who handled all that rigmarole, and I remember... Anytime we did a South American tour, it was it was all a cakewalk except for Brazil. I had mm. to physically go into the city, uh, Avenue of the Americas, hit the Brazilian consulate, drop off all the, the the passports, and then with a with a check or money order, whatever it was, and then uh, come back like two weeks later to pick them all. Up. Like I had to couldn't mail them in. Like everything, I I it was a whole day for me to get in the city to to do this one task, and I and I always. Uh, I, I, it all, I always hated it until until I ran into a fellow tour manager at the consulate dropping off some 
a big stack of uh, of of passports. And I was like, wow, okay, well, who, do, who do you work for? And he's like, oh, I'm the tour manager for the Rolling Stones. We have 150 people going on tour. This is just one of many stacks I will be dropping off. And I was like, I will never complain about doing this again. 150 people entourage. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, that, that is, dude had his work cut out for him. Suddenly, that, I didn't feel so bad. My Lord. My yeah. Lord. And that's when, you know, when you hear these people and you think about, like, that's when it's it all of a sudden it's like, hey, if we don't tour, then people that we love and work with us as a family, they don't eat. Like, yeah. we have to. It becomes a machine, whether the, you know, that's the way it was with the Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead, at one point, they were like, we have to tour because we, are, we got guys. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we got to make sure those guys get, the, you know, those guys rely on us and like they're our family. And we got to take care of them. You know, it becomes the that birth, kind of thing. The birth of Grimm's Misfits auction, which is some, something I'm sure we'll talk a lot about here uh, in the near future, was out of necessity. Um, because in the early days, like East Coast Tour 96, I got paid. Huh, you, you better be sitting down for this. I'm sitting down. Granted, all my travel expenses, I got fed. I, you know, it, it didn't cost me to go anywhere, do anything with the band. But as far as like working and and setting up the merch, counting everything in, standing there all night long, I'm not just talking about the hour that the band is on the stage. I'm talking from the time doors are open to the time the house is empty. I'm there selling shirts. I'm counting them all out. I'm responsible for all the money. I'm doing the paperwork. I'm settling with the house because they're looking to get their cut. It's my job to make sure they don't get their full cut. Um. That guy, me, I got paid in the beginning $30 a day. Oh, my God. Actually, $30 a show, not even on a day off. I didn't didn't get paid it. $30 a show, and that was only on nights that I sold. There were some venues that they insisted they had had to have a house seller. I still had to load all the merch in, count it all in with them, count it all out with them, settle up with them. I didn't get paid anything because I didn't sell the merch. So Grimm's Misfits Auctions started in, I guess, January every year when we weren't touring. There's no, You're not doing a U.S. tour in January. You can't go into Colorado in, in January. Um, I needed to make extra money. And I had some crew stuff and I had some tour shirts and I had, you know, whatever I collected along the way. And I knew people wanted it because I, I wanted the stuff. I kept one of each for myself and, and the rest uh, ended up selling. And that's how I got through. Otherwise, I would have had to get another. How, how do you get a job where you're like, well, I'm going to work this month, but then I'm gone for two months. Oh, but then I'll be back for two weeks, but then I'm gone again. Like, nobody's going to hire you for that. That makes your that makes your, the acquisition of your house so much sweeter to me when you hear this. When you compare and contrast the fact that 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 is what automatically that that's what brought you your house that you're currently sitting in right now. Like it just, you know, uh, it, well, I the, know, the sale, the sale of the collection of the, of the vinyl, which um, the, it was everything, but it was the vinyl was really the, 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 uh, where the money was at. That's what got me in my house. What got me just surviving, paying for food and paying for overhead and, and just living was money I made from touring. And, right. And right. What I, what I, what I could pull in from the from the auctions each year. Yeah. Um, it's it's crazy, man. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, it was but I mean in the beginning, right. in, in the very beginning, I still lived at home in my mother's basement. So if I came home from tour with three hundred dollars cash in my pocket, 
I felt like I was loaded. Right. I, I, you know, what's my overhead, my car insurance every month, which was, you know, minimal. But as things progressed, obviously life changed. But part of, I remember on the Megadeth tour, Ken being like, you know, you're getting a raise because part of my responsibilities, when you sell merchandise for a band at a venue per contract, the venue gets a cut. 10%, 15%, could be 20%, God forbid, 25% on who they're trying to kid. But the the idea is they are providing you a venue to sell merchandise in that if you went to go sell on the street without a peddler's license, you could be arrested. So they've given you a place, a safe haven, purportedly, some of the places. I guess. I still think it's kind of BS, man, that they even taken a cut. Like, I get it. I get it. But I know. We all don't know. But my job was, as Rocky told me, single digits, Tank. I want single digits. So no matter what the contract said, whether it was 10, 15, 20%, I made damn sure that what I counted out to the venue, what I handed the venue every night in cash was a single digit percent and that they would walk away happy thinking they got their full amount. I played every right. trick in the book. Right. So you were you were the you were, as they say, cooking things just oh, yeah. to make make sure <laughs> the show you know, at the Stone Pony in Asbury so. Park. Yes. Which is the one time the band played Wolf's Blood live. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> Wolf's Blood, yeah. Oh, I bet Mike sang those lyrics real good. <laughs> right. <laughs> um I, I hold on. I want to shout out to Voice of Doom. Who, uh, John of Doom, the lead singer of Voice of Doom, you got to hear this cover of Wolf's Blood. This mm-hmm. guy, he got the lyrics, I guess, from the lyrics book. Mm-hmm. He blows me away. I'm, I'm so impressed with his mm-hmm. vocal delivery of Wolf's Blood because he can, uh, succinctly, I'll send it to you after the show's over. Please. He succinctly pronounces and sings the vocal arrangement. I've never heard anything like it. It blows wow. me out of the water every huh. time I listen to it. You got to hear this thing, Tank. You got to okay. hear it. Yeah, you like I'm it. looking you forward like to it. it. Uh, I'm sorry. Continue with what yeah. you're saying. So, so the the guy that I'm counting in and then counting out with, right? Um, and actually, I think they, yeah, they sold because I was in the crowd for the show, and I actually, I so so there's 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 moshing, there's slamming, there's stage diving, but what what do you, what do they call it when you get up? From from the pit, get up on the crowd, kind of like on your knee, like you're standing up, but you're kneeling, and people are passing you around, and you're. I was literally like arms crossed, like coming across the ground, like yeah, motherfuckers. <laughs> I don't know, I don't even know what you call that, but that's what I was doing while they're playing wolf butter. Wave wave surfing. Okay, yeah, I was crowd doing surfing, crowd surfing. So, I don't yeah. know, but yeah, but I didn't, I didn't dive into the crowd. Somehow I got up on on top of them. There was no diving anyway. So this this guy, the, there was some girl. Uh, handling the merch sales and i was counting in and out with this guy this guy was drunk by the end of the night so i'm like oh here we go let me uh i'm sharpen my pencil up here <laughs> i'm i'm doing the instead of using a calculator i'm doing the math on paperwork right in front of him i am changing the outcome of of the math that i'm doing as i'm going i'm like yeah you're, you're following all this right and he's like yeah 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 it looks good to me oh my god i pulled the wool over his he got like three percent like here's your 15 percent buddy <laughs> um so I, I would do shit like that. We had um we had st- we had pizza boxes. I gotta shrink this down. A stack of pizza boxes that were empty, and we cut out the the middles of them except for the top one and the bottom one. 
and Ken would walk into the venue with a stack of pizza boxes with like a couple dozen shirts inside and bring them over to the merchant. Hey, Tank, uh, keep these for uh, for later. Like, yeah, no problem. When nobody's looking, shirts back back into the into the stock and changing my number. You know, I, I would fake comp shirts, like everything I could do um, to get those numbers. So that that got me the my first raise from 30 bucks to 50 bucks a show for the Megadeth tour. Um, and then on the Megadeth tour, though, I worked with like a professional merchandiser who was hired by whoever did Megadeth, uh, Blue Grape or uh, whoever, Cinderblock, I think, um, did Megadeth's uh, merchandise. And I would help him. And they, they did so much merch that he was like, here, I'll, 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 I'll give you a hundred bucks a night. And I'm like, really? I, f- I felt like I was like king of the world. Um, uh, and then w- once I got the tip cup idea, I was like, you know, hmm, this might be a thing. Oh, so you started to put out a tip cup. Yeah. And I got the idea from Jay, who was the merch guy for No Effects. We played with them in Denmark. And that was the first time. I mean, okay, Megadeth selling more merch than Misfits. Yeah, okay, I get that. But we played like No Effects open for Misfits in Denmark. And they ran circles around us in wow. merch sales. Jay was slammed. And he had a, a an empty beer pitcher. That it was like changing the bottom. He'd rattle it in people's faces, being like, you know, tip me, tip me. And and that fucking mug was full by the end of the night. And I'm like, why didn't I think of that? Holy crap. So, so uh, after after that, you always had a tip thing out, right? But I wasn't aggressive about it like that. Like, hey, tip me, motherfucker. It was just like, yeah, you know, I I gave you the best service I could and throw a buck in there. Great. The um I I did work out a deal at one point where we had these huge die-cut bumper stickers. That we were selling for two dollars. I'm like, that's 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 a meat like, like that that is a fucking bargain. A two dollar bumper sticker die cut of the Misfits logo, like this freaking big. Um, and our shirts were fifteen dollars a piece back then. Wow. Again, Jerry wasn't about like, oh yeah, we should fifty dollars. No, he just he wanted the fans to get the stuff. So whatever you know, whatever the minimum price was that we could sell it for, we would. So a $15 shirt and a $2 sticker, if you hand me a $20 bill, obviously I can upcharge, I can, I can upsell that sticker to you. Hey, you know, instead of me giving you five bucks back, how about I, how you want to, you want one of these stickers? So that, that was my pitch to Rocky. And I said, if I can get a dollar for each, if I can, if we can sell those stickers for $3, I get the dollar for the upsell. Is that agreeable to you? And so that, that's great. Thank go for it. And that, that that was that that worked out really well. That was uh, that kind of set my financial future in, in motion. I guess you could say little things like that, little little uh, little stuff along the way, little little tips and tricks yeah. along the way. And I mean, you're literally getting the experience of the lifetime, traveling the country, traveling mm-hmm. to see other parts of the world, all expense yeah. paid. You know, yeah. so it wasn't a total. I've I, I can I can see I could see how that you know sometimes that tips the scales a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but just getting back to what's going on, so my, so Graves gets Graves winds up you know in trouble and th- there's moves that need to be made, um, and like what does this is there any sort of friction does is there any does is there any sort of friction that winds up as a result of this or would that more come later not that i'm aware of i mean like i said i think we all thought it was pretty stupid that he got arrested for 
right. assault for pantsing some guy on on. Okay, so I didn't gotcha. give you the, the full story of what happened. Michael was saying, "Hey, I, I need more. I can't hear myself. Probably his own vocals. He can't if, as a singer. If you can't hear yourself, you have no idea if you're in key or not." Yeah, um, totally. So that's a, that's a bad position to be in. I've, I've been there. Um, and so he kept telling them the monitor guy, I need more vocals in the monitors. I need more vocals in the monitors. And I, I, I wasn't there. So whatever happened, the monitor guy got pissed off and he pushed all the levels max and just Wee! like feedback. And Michael was like, motherfucker. So he threw the fucking microphone down, went over, jumped the guy right. and started fighting with him. The dude's pants ended up coming down and, uh, he gets arrested for assault. Pretty now, do you remember uh, Metallica coming to see the guys in '96? I mean, I'd imagine that would have been pretty noteworthy, right? I, I, um, <laughs> James Hetfield, a couple of the guys, James and Kirk, were at a show in Frisco, and I remember James and Doyle hanging out by the merch table before the show and just like talking, and, and I was like, oh, "This is kind of fucking cool." And, but I, I was doing double duty. I was doing merch and uh, guitar teching at that time. So I was kind of overseeing the merch, but I had like a, a helper to cover me when I had to go do the stuff on the stage. And I remember um, James Hetfield was going to come out and sing Die, Die, My Darling, like in the encore or something like that. I don't remember. I don't. Did he need the lyrics? I think there was something I needed to tape down on the stage for him. So before the Misfits went on, I'm down on, on my hands and knees on the stage, like between the front vocal monitors and wiping up some some water or something that spilled. And there was some guy in the front, you know, some assholes like, oh, man, your your job sucks, dude. And I'm like, dude, I'm fucking teching for James Hetfield right now. Go suck yeah. a dick. Okay. <laughs> like, you have no fucking clue. Um, and yeah, James came out and sang Dida, and it, it was fucking amazing. It was really amazing. Was Kirk there? He was, I'm pretty sure he was there, but he, he didn't like come up on stage or anything, but I, I think he was in the house, if I'm not mistaken. And that's and, uh, 1996 and, and, Metallica, too. No, uh, the the the, uh, the newer bass player, not Jason, after Jason left, who was the guy that came in? Rob from, Trujillo? Yeah, yeah from uh, from Infectious Grooves. Yeah. Um, he, was, he was there. I, I know for sure he was there. I think Kirk was there. Lars. But he wasn't in Metallica yet. No, this wouldn't have been 96. This would have been later. Right. Yeah. So I don't know what happened in 96. I, I really oh. don't remember. Okay. Yeah. Um, and right. So they, so, so then we're like kind of like winding closed. Then we get into 1997. Um, oh, here's something I'm curious to know. Like, I've seen videos of, of Graves, you know, performing and he's singing the songs. He's doing, you know, Listen again. Stepping anybody stepping into Glenn Danzig's shoes, it's going to be tough. It's not. It's not easy. He did the best he could, you know, to to fill those shoes. Yeah. Um, how is he doing lyrically, singing the songs? Is he, you know, for the most part, like nailing the lyrics, or you th is he having trouble? Is Jerry is Jerry happy with, you know, like He's, the? Yeah. No. He yeah. he never needed. Uh, cheat sheets like like Porzoli did um he yeah he just he just stepped in he learned them and and he freaking knocked it out of the park um I, speaking of of them playing wolf the one time they played wolf's blood 
at the Stone Pony. I think right. I one, <laughs> I think the one time they played in the doorway live was at a little venue in Virginia Beach, and I remember just being like, "Wow." Because Michael's voice was like perfect for that. It was perfect for that. Absolutely perfect. And I'm like, how did he know all the words? Because I'm not even sure what all the words are. There's no lyric sheet for that one. Is is um tell me about the Bleeders Digest. That starts okay. that comes along in like '97. And what's that? There's like kind of like a sort of a relaunch or rebranding of like the Fiend Club too. You got like different right. Fiend Club characters. Tell me yep. all about that sort of stuff. What's okay, so the, the Fiend Club. Uh, the Fiend Club was always uh, was always Rocky. That was under like his. That was what he uh, needed to, to run. Um, and originally it was him and Doug Evil. Uh, like I said, Doug in the in the early days was kind of brought on board to do his his comic book style uh, right uh, artwork. And his rendition of Doyle, I thought was was really clever. Didn't have a mouth. Doyle don't say very much. His caricature doesn't have a mouth. Good point. Makes sense. Um, but D Doug would put together the, like, Ken would, would like write up the article and then Doug would like what we call Dougify it and, and give it like, give it the, the, the spooky wording and, and then, you know, change it up a little bit, um, to make it the, the bleeders digest sort of feel and then the sound. Um, and then he'd throw his artwork in there and, and, uh, the idea was, Maybe in the early days was like once a quarter this newsletter came out, and the Fiend Club started out. It was free to, to join, but it cost us money to put out these newsletters. And um, was there a sign up, or that was still just the Doyle fan club rolled over to the 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 Fiend Club at that point? Um, but at, at at one point we started. I made sign up sheets. At the at the in a in a binder at the merch table where you could sign up uh, for the Fiend Club, and it, uh, maybe originally that was free, but at one point we said, "All right, th this is this is costing us money." Uh, we had to charge five dollars a year, but then once we did that, I think we went to every two months with a newsletter. Um, and I, having taken over from Doug Evil at one point and doing these newsletters myself, I can tell you. It's a lot of work. I bet I mean, that'd be like that'd be like a, a, a week of like just full time. That's what I did that week was I, I put the newsletter together. Um, but each each uh, each newsletter we'd have um, uh, a, an offer for so so your five dollars a, a year got you your membership card because every year you got a, a new card um, with originally Doug Evil artwork and and then I don't know what happened for sure. At one point there was a falling out. With Doug and and the Misfits, I I, I I really can't say why. It just I know it was messy. Um, Doug just like kind of up and and left one day. Like Ken Ken was like calling calling. Doug's not answering. I'm I'm trying to reach out to Doug. He's not answering me. He just like decided he was done, and he up and uh, maybe this was after the the breakup, and he sided with Michael or something. He just. Whatever happened, he he skipped. He he he. When you it. say after the breakup, you you mean in '98, or you're talking about in 2000? In 2000. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that that would have been when I took over. Um, um gotcha. Yeah. So so your five dollars a year got you your membership card. It got you 
your newsletters, and it got you access to obviously Fiend Club exclusive uh, merchandise. Which Evil Live Two, the CD was was supposed to be like Fiend Club issue only. That was how we got around the lawsuit. Okay, according to the, the settlement with Glenn, the Misfits were allowed to go back out on tour as the Misfits and play the original music that Glenn wrote. He got all the publishing rights to. Um, and sell Misfits shirts, sell Misfits logo merchandise. But we could not sell a recording of the old songs through like the normal that was the back door is that it was a fan club exclusive cd that you could only get at the shows or through mail order you could not walk into a record store and buy it firsthand that was that was the the back door to that that's now 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 that's coming back together for me and Um, glenn but glenn still shut it down did he i don't i but from my understanding it was always my understanding that um, that he found out about that was really pissed off and that he shut it down. And that's why I guess maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it just was like, maybe it went out of print, but I always had heard that Glenn was really annoyed by that. Chud recorded all the me. shows, right? Chud that- recorded, Chud would record all the shows, right? Chud, Chud has a massive library of, right. of a lot of shows. Yeah. Doyle has some of the early stuff too. Cause we, every, after every show, Chud would record the audio. Doyle would record video. So after the show, after we go to the truck stop and shower and eat, we'd get on the tour bus and put it on and watch our own show to be like, all right, what, what do we, you know, how can we critique this how football player play style? Like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Um, so yeah, Evil Live. The first hundred discs of Evil Live, I think, were on blue discs, and then the regular issue was on a white disc. As far as like the the print, the the uh, the artwork on it. It was still a limited run, so I think just when they ran out, they that was it. They they ran out. Maybe that's what it was. I yeah. once saw one of those in the wild at Fye mm. where I used to work, hmm. and I was it was it, it it was back it was in the back room, and I was blown. Hmm. You were what? You were, dude. Pay your internet bill. Come on, the fans. You know they're waiting. So, uh, anyway, how about them Knicks, huh? Uh, you, your screen went yellow. What are you, you talk, you talking there? There I am. Wow. Your internet provider needs a good talking to. I fi that's the problem. I'm not hardwired in. Neither am Um, I. Just saying. Yes. Yeah, but I'm. But we. I think we've been over. No, I was actually. I was talking about this with someone else. But I'm the one that's. You're coming to. I'm uploading all. Of it. It's through my infrastructure, not through yours. You're just patched into me. I'm just. However, that works. Guy. Yeah. I'm you're just some guy. Life. You're just yeah. some guy. No. Did you hear what I said though about the? No, uh, not at all. <laughs> oh shit! So I worked at Fye. Yeah. And we had. There in the back room, there was a copy of Evil Live Two, and I was blown away by it because I was like, "It's just something you never saw." This was two thousand six, two thousand seven, mm-hmm. and my nearest guess was that my nearest guess was that someone must have sold it secondhand, and right. someone, my, my manager at the time was a was a Misfits fan. He must have known he must have known how rare it was. He he took it off off the floor immediately, probably for himself, right. you know that sort of thing. 
Um, I just remember seeing it in, in, we had like this like weird cage locker thing. And I remember it being in there and being like, whoa, evil live too. You just didn't see it. You just never saw that anywhere. I guess that kind of explains it. We sold it at shows. Uh, It was $15 if you had your Fiend Club membership card on you. Um, Proof that you were in the club. If you were not a member, it was $20. And that included a one-year subscription or membership to the the Fiend Club. That's a good deal. You got your card. That's so basically, you'd have to sign up and then and then get the get the get the CD, but you could not get the CD if you didn't possess a card uh, as a, a member of the Fiend Club. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, most people were like, "Hey, okay, cool, no problem." And other people sure. like, "Oh no, I'm, I'm not fucking signing. I'm not paying for this." I'm like, "Then you're not getting the CD, pal." Next, like, right? I, I don't know what to tell you. That's that's the rules. Right. Um, so we, it, it was five dollars just to sign up, and you and you got a membership packet. Which included your your member your card, maybe a couple of the previous newsletters, and then anything. Uh, some, uh, I think a sticker, a round uh, Fiend Club sticker with the Helen Blazes logo, uh, perhaps instead of the um, the Crimson Ghost. So you got a little packet, and then you would get more stuff in the mail. But I, I remember at a venue in uh, oh, on Beale Street, um, and some girl like just oh hey the membership, and she thought I'm like hang on sweetheart that's. That's five dollars. She's like, no, no. I, I've known these guys a long time. It, it doesn't cost me anything. And I'm like, okay, sure. And then as soon as she leaves, I take the pen. I'm like, eh, 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 and crossed it out. I'm like, go fuck yourself. Don't fucking talk to me like that. Um, so you know, but so yes, yeah, so Doug did the the uh, the newsletters in the beginning. Whatever the falling out was for whatever his reason for leaving, I know there was some lawsuit down the road uh, with him. I, I don't know. I don't know the specifics of it, so I can't really you know, talk about it. Um, so I took over, and every two months I had to do one of these newsletters with uh, with Rocky, and it was a lot of work, but it, it got done. Um, we do the new. We'd get the Ed Repka artwork and do the new um, the new uh, membership card every year, different color every year. Uh, Ken and I would go to like trade shows at the Javits Center in Manhattan to look at products that we could provide that we could just put the fiend club logo on because each newsletter there was there was something for sale and had the fiend club logo on it or something you know whether it's a a a hoodie or a backpack or a a cd case or a a a fun project yeah and i I would do the graphic i would work with whatever company was printing whatever product we had uh we had we had feed club skateboards at one point which i heard later like management wasn't happy about and that got shut down or something Hmm. um I forgot who did the artwork for that. Those were pretty fucking cool. Damn, totally forgot about those. Um, but so 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 the the money, the five dollars a year covered all the expenses for the newsletters and all that kind of shit. The stuff that we sold, the money came in for that. That is what kept our tour vehicles alive. That wow. was the money to 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 get all the 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 because you put thousands and thousands of miles on an RV, sure. or a box truck. They're going to need some maintenance and, you know, sure. some TLC before you go back onto the road and do thousands of more miles. Because if we break down, we might not be coming to your town. So that, that was, um, that money went to, went to, to do all that stuff. Um, so it, it was pretty, pretty, pretty important. But anyway, so now, yeah, that was, that was me and Rocky for, for years doing that together. Now, Helen Blazes was like, it's just like, is that Jerry being like, Hey, we need a new character for the kids. Like what, like what? I what, think what that was more. His... I think that was more Rocky, because again, okay. the Fiend Club was like that was his his baby. He was he was put in charge of that. We um, 
there was a postcard in the early days of releasing uh, the whole new Fiend Club with the Helen Blaze's character where Glenn Hetrick, Rocky, and myself went into Manhattan to the... Um, Alan Yeager did the Fiend Club skateboard. That's right. I, I, I couldn't think of his name. Thanks, uh, Dan. Um, and it, it was a cherub. Oh, it was a really cool cherub. Oh, man, those, those were pretty freaking awesome. Um, we went to the to the Road Roadrunner uh, headquarters, and we auditioned models. Came, we just spent a day, like, one model after another coming in to, to audition for the Helen Blazes part for, like, a live photo shoot and anything else oh, that, interesting. that would come along. And Glenn was going to be doing uh, the makeup. Uh, somebody else, uh, I think my buddy Paul Soot or his girlfriend at the time, somebody did the uh, the costume. Um, I was going to be the one doing the graphics, like putting it all together for posters or postcards, whatever. And and Rocky was just the one overseeing it. And Frank White took the pictures. So we settled on one that had the, the look that we were looking for. And uh, Glenn Hetrick gave her the instructions. For those who don't know, Glenn Hetrick, he did the uh, the zombie makeup for the Scream video with George Romero for us, and then he went on and became a, a great makeup, pretty yeah, great oh, yeah. makeup. Uh, he became a he's now a pretty big deal in uh, in Hollywood. Works on owns owns his own effects studio and works on some really really big projects. Um, one of my uh, one of my oldest and best best buddies. Um, so I was not there for the actual photo shoot. Ken, Frank White, and Glenn were there. We told Glenn told the girl, do not show up with any makeup. Uh, we're going to start from scratch. Right. She ends up showing up with like her normal street makeup. And Glenn's like, I told you, no, no makeup. And so he had to work around what was already on there. And it conflicted with what he was trying to work with. So that was a fiasco. Apparently, the costume that we had made was not quite right. So they had to do some alteration on site, which meant some digital editing later. Uh, Frank White is a great photographer. And... He captured the, the moments and the lighting and everything perfectly. But me as the the graphic designer, I wish I had been there. Because right. I would have told her, okay, tur- turn your hip out more this way. Put your arm up. The- turn your head over that. I needed I needed more. You know, Frank provided awesome photos. But as far as layout was concerned, I needed a, a little differently. So when I got the photos, I'm like, okay. These are great photos, but I'm going to have to do a lot of work now to make them do what we want them to do. And I, I had to, to, I had to Photoshop the makeup, which was like nails on a chalkboard to Glenn because you don't, he didn't want CG anything on, on his makeup. <laughs> I, I, there was a lot that had to happen to make Helen Blazes like the live action Helen Blazes a thing. And sadly, this, this, this woman, I, I don't, I don't remember her name. Um, you know, it was a paid gig, but she was such a pain in the ass. We never did it again. We we let it go. She's like that. That was that was not worth it. That was that was too much of a hassle. So Helen better Blaze, just to do an illustration, right? Just just let Doug draw it, or later <laughs> Rep could draw it, and um, that was it. That was it. Um, I we are we are in our third hour of the show, so we have to wind down, and I'd like to wind down with three things. But dude, my my list, my list here. Listen, uh, I like. <laughs> I know it's a big list, but I was just looking at your list. And by the way, I, I picked something out I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Um, I'm looking. We actually hit a bunch of these things. Like, I'm actually amazed because I didn't. This is the first time, like, looking at the list. Talked about Polly B. Talked about Mike Stacks. We talked about um, we talked about microphone. We talked about Chipmunk, Gopher, and Mole. Talked about uh, Coney Island. I mean, dude, you hit quite a few. I mean, it's not okay. everything, but you did pretty well. 
You get shit. Did we? Oh no, never mind. I thought I thought I I thought I uh, blanked I mean, out there. Seriously, like it's a lot. It just, it it's just, a lot. What? What the? What? What? Oh my we god. We got a tank. There's we did so good. Much. Tank, tank, tank. You did good. You did so, so much good. To talk about. Dude, people are so stoked. Talked about Doug Evil. Talked about fifteen dollar decks. I mean, talked about Dogtown decks. You fo- you folded so much into the narrative as we were moving on. It was really great. I want to tackle uh, three, three things. things. Two, three things that I think three. really. And then I want to ask you about the Halloween two plaque because I have no idea what the fuck that is. I'm very curious. Um, okay, I think I'm unfrozen now. By the way, people, you were unfrozen. Um, I just want to say thank you for everybody who's still with us. We have right? a total oh of we have sixty five people. Or, I, I'm sorry, I don't know. Some... We had we had seventy people last time. We have sixty five still here after three hours, which is pretty darn good. Hey, you're lucky I I'm think. still here, man. Like really, yeah. I, I'm hours. I'm so grateful. Thank you for it's coming back, dude. Over here on the east coast. By the yeah. time, by the way, I'm calling it now. I think by the time Tank and I are finished, I think that when I stitch this into one long episode it's going to be 12 hours long that's my prediction it's going to be 12 hours long it's going to be really freaking long people um i okay first of all someone's asking about a christmas card john is asking about a christmas card um yes kevin kevin's in the house he has his own show yeah tank are you familiar with haunted garage at all by the way you don't know this band no very interesting band. Long story. Can't talk about it now. Kevin's doing a great doc, people. Check out his Indiegogo campaign. It's awesome. Uh, John here is asking uh, about a Christmas card with the model in the Crimson Ghost. She looked a lot she like, like uh, Feruza Bulk. Yep. Yeah. That's, yeah. Is that, that's Helena Blazes? That, yeah, that, that was the Helena Blazes. And she, and yeah, she okay. did. She looked a lot like Feruza Bulk, which is, that was the look we were looking for. Right, right. Okay. Um, so the first thing I want to ask you about is you, you were talking before about Megadeth. And what's interesting about that is that tour is an arena tour, which is kind of different than the tours that come before it. And correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. The idea that the the, the this new bit, this new version of the Misfits has graduated from doing club gigs and is now doing arenas for really the first time ever and what was that like how do you remember how maybe like jerry and doyle or kenny or anybody must have felt or how did you feel about like this was a big step up right like this is a big deal to go from that to that i remember like east coast tour 96 i remember playing some pretty small little shitholes i mean you know we'd we'd hit some nice ones like the old uh, the new 930 club but a little place in Richmond, Virginia, or someplace over in PA, just like, oh my God, what, what are we doing here? Um, so yeah, and then we stepped up to like big venues, big stages. Megadeth had uh, tractor trailers coming in, like convoys coming in, and they had tour managers and production managers and this manager and that manager, and like, it was just like, it was so busy. It wasn't what we were used to at all. We were we were like a small, tight, well-oiled machine that just like, you know, just go... And with Megadeth, everything was was like um, a lot of bureaucracy. Um, the 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 tour manager had to check with the production manager. Check production manager had to check with the the lead sound guy who was no exaggeration seven feet tall. Uh, Gunji, his name was Scottish guy. Um, and I'm like, they're on a tour bus. The bunks on tour buses are six three. Where does this guy sleep? He would but sleep on the couch in the back he lounge. He curled up yeah. in a ball, like a, no. in a fetal position. 
seven fucking feet tall. Oh my god! Yikes! Yeah, I when, when I was trying out for wrestling, I'm like, you know, I, I, I felt pretty short at six one. I wanted, I needed to be more like like six eight. I always wanted to be taller. Once we started touring, and I realized in my bunk I had an inch over my head and an inch below my feet, I was like, I'm just right. This is great. Yeah, I don't need to be anything else. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> so it was it was a lot of, I dare I say, just a lot of bullshit with with, with such a large production. But I, I get it on a production that size. Like you, there's not going to be one guy in charge of everything. He's got to check with them. They got to check with this. Like it was just it was a lot going on. In the we got together before the the tour fully kicked up. Like we had a few days of being with those guys. I remember going to um, dinner in a movie with Dave Dave Mustaine. And we went to a Johnny Rockets, and I, I had the black hair and I had, a, I, had the, I had the black beard, and some of my roots must have been coming. My beard is very red, and and Dave noticed that, and he's like, "What are your what, what's your heritage?" I was like, oh, "I'm, I'm Scotch Irish," and he was like, "Why do you dye your hair? Why why don't you just let it be re-? like he was really up on on his you know his bloodline and stuff, and thought everybody else should be too." And I'm like, "That's not right. Like, I, I'm I'm cool." Um, <clears throat> And but funny, he, we we were at Johnny Rockets. We're all eating burgers. He had like half of his burger. I'm like, uh, Dave, you gonna you gonna finish that? He's like, No. I'm like, Give it here. <laughs> so, I, so I finished Dave. Just like burger. the goose. Just yeah, like the exactly. Goose. Yeah. Give it here. Um, and then we saw a movie together. All of us, like him and some of his crew and us and our crew. I forgot what the movie was, but I remember standing in line waiting to go in from the lobby into the theater, and him telling me that the riff for metallica's enter sandman was stolen from some other he 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 named the band he named the song he's like if you hear that song it's that's the riff and and that was that was like the the that was the big song at, at the at the time in that era and i'm like interesting so everything gets you know zero yeah, the heroes that's a now pretty famous that's a pretty famous uh uh mm. split and and grudge and you know uh what's oh, it yeah. called uh, oh yeah yeah thing on the shoulder uh what's that what is yeah. the terminology i'm what is it called when you have something on your shoulder you have a, a chip on your shoulder thank you you have a chip he had a that was a, he was a pretty big chip on his shoulder yeah. over that um yeah. i guess rightfully was, so you know he was doing pretty well for his for himself he was he, he was the big uh, he, he dave was definitely like the big cheese Right. Like everybody had to had to you know oh, 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 yes Dave okay Dave thank you Dave like he, mega Dave he was, yeah he he was the big shot and and we you know we kind of rolled with it in the beginning um and when he was cool but as soon as that first show I'm pretty sure it was the first show but it, it was either the first show or, or very early on in the tour we did two nights at the joint in Vegas which is the Hard Rock Casino um it's the the pyramid that shoots the the really bright light straight up into space um we did the, we did the one show and the next morning the newspaper came out with the entertainment section and the headline was misfits outshine megadeth oh no there's a big picture of michael front page and then down in the corner like a little picture of dave then we did the we did the second show that night and all of a sudden everything changed what used to be easy for us working with them and their crew was now us hitting a, a wall every time we turned around getting backstage passes for our guests 
Good luck. Good luck. Dave no longer coming. He came and hang out with us and joked around. Everything changed. And for the rest of the tour, it was it was like it was kind of like nails on a chalkboard. Um, so at the end of that tour, Jerry found just by you know chance, he was in a men's room and went to pull the, the paper towel out of the out of, out of the dispenser, and the thing like the lid like fell open, and inside was this massive roll of paper towels on a on a cardboard tube that looked like a huge roll of toilet paper. It was like proportionally, it was like, oh my God, it's a massive roll of toilet paper. So he took it, brought it back on the tour bus. He's like, guys, this is what we're going to do. And he wrote on it, after a mega dump, we like to take a mega wipe. And all the band members and all the crew members signed it and we put it in a box and we shipped it to to Dave. So, uh, ooh. Shots fired. Shot, shots fired. Shots. Were I fired. mean, you know, I've heard Jerry talk about this in relation to what happened with the damned mm-hmm. in 79. Uh, yeah. I heard him talk about this. And I, I mean, like he puts up, he, he actually made a pretty good point. He was just basically saying he didn't bring up Megadeth, but I feel like I'm reminded of the damned when I'm hearing you say what you said about Megadeth just now. It's just the idea mm-hmm. of like, you know, we're supposed to be like, like holding each other up. Right. Like, you know, uh, give us what we need to sound the best that we can versus when they were on that that damn tour, you know, they weren't really invited or they they were accommodated. And Joey's Joey's snare was from like the 1930s. And it like he he put a hole in it after the first show mm-hmm. and he didn't have a new snare and blah, blah, blah. blah and like the damned were just the, the management was giving them a hard time and stuff. And um, and it just sounds like it just sounds like that's like a thing, not just with the misfits. I mean, just in general, it's like it's like with bands, with two bands, I, you know, there, there's lots of politics and it could be whether right. you're outshining mm-hmm. the other guys or maybe you're, you know, just whatever the case may be. It it, it, cre- it creates friction. It's you know? a lot of it comes down to, you know, I guess I don't know, personality types or something, because we also toured with Anthrax. Cannibal Corpse Anthrax Misfits was that was a that was a big tour for us. And Michael and John Bush, the, the singer for Anthrax, they pushed each other to, to do more and more. And uh John would like do some crazy high stage dive. So like the next night, Michael would be like, Okay, well, I, I gotta I'm I'm going up there. Like they <laughs> literally would do shit that they shouldn't have done just to kind of one-up each other in a very friendly way. Right. They did it the right way instead of being right. like, oh, yeah, fuck that. we got to fuck those guys. We're going to screw them over. Um, you know, I mean, we spoke about the, uh, the the last night of the tour shenanigans, and now it's just tradition that all the pranks and everything happened. So the last night of the Megadeth tour. Um, I No, we did not. What is? Tell no. me about that. Didn't we, didn't we talk about that? I don't think so. I, I didn't hear it. Well, that that is a thing. The last night of, of uh, every tour is when all the pranks and the shenanigans happen. The, the bands prank each other because you, you you've been in the trenches together for a month or two. Like there's there's a there's a brotherhood, there's a camaraderie. Hopefully, um, that that uh, uh, is felt there. Um, so the last night of the, the last show, Megadeth was was on stage. We got a case, a huge like industrial case of toilet paper rolls, and I think it was just Chud and I, or maybe one more guy, came out onto the stage while Megadeth was playing and we had like 
sunglasses. I like I had like sunglasses, like Michael's top hat on, and like we had disguises, like we were like they're not gonna know who we are. Um, and we get up on stage and we just we kick open this case of toilet paper and start launching them out into the crowd, and sure enough. <laughs> They all came flying back, and uh, by the time it was done, the stage was like a spaghetti bowl of, of toilet paper as, as Dave was trying to play Angry Again or, or, or something. Um, Question. Hmm. Um, it's my understanding that Doyle is like a legendary prankster, that he just loves doing pranks of, of, of like filling up water, uh, putting water in like trash bags and, and throwing it off the sides of like hotels, stuff like that. Is do you ever remember him sort of getting down with like the, the the prank all these all this prank stuff? I could see him doing stuff like that. I really could. I'm trying to think if I can remember anything specific. Really, I'll have to put some thought into that. But I, I could, I could, yeah, I could see him doing that. Yeah, I I I I've heard that around. I heard some scuttlebutt around that that mm-hmm. he was sort of like uh, just really into pranks. Um. So that's very, what an interesting contrast between that tour versus that yeah. tour. And, right. you know, someone mentioned in the comments, it's true. It, it's not like the Misfits weren't headlining these right. stadiums. They were just opening. But still, it's like stepping onto a bigger arena. Yeah. Emotionally, that must be like good for morale, right? right. On right. some level, yeah. you know, like validating in some kind of way. Um the uh, by the way, it's okay. So the album comes out. American Psycho comes out on uh, in May of '97. You guys met Basil through Chiller Theater, right? I, I believe so. Yeah. And at that point, he does the 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 real. It's a great artwork, except for well, the he he had done the Max's side, uh, <laughs> Max's Kansas City Christmas, the shirt for Max's Kansas City show, right? Um, the album that was never released. He did that first and did he do anything prior to that no then i maybe the next thing was american psycho and it's you know it's a great artwork that's actually you know the one thing i don't like about the artwork is the fact that it just says it's still to this day i think it just says poster inside on the thing and i i understand at the time but like it kind of wished that it was like a on the saran wrap and not on the actual on the actual right right I mean, I, I could imagine, I don't know whose decision that was, but maybe it was Jerry or something, but no, uh, it was poor, poor oversight. Yeah. That would have that been, been Geffen, thing. not Jerry. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. The, gotcha. the, in the, in the video where you see the painting of that and the eyes yeah. pop out and the, Ken still has that, that um, painting, which is like, it's just the coolest thing. I've always wanted that like, is really you know, cool. in a, in, in a house to have like, you know, one of those, those silly old paintings like that. D- does the eye are the eyes like actually did the, the they're cut out they, the they eyes can come out they can pop out from the back yeah that's really cool let's that was the going to be the other thing that i wanted to talk about and i yeah, think so we, 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 we met of... basil and i i would probably say ed repka through chiller theater um and ended up working with uh with both of them both very talented but both great great guys first basil may he rest in peace i'm so sick of having to say that but yeah that's yeah sad truth of things I interviewed Basil and nice. I asked him about the misfits and um, I I'll never forget how I said, tell me about the uh, their haircuts. And he goes, Oh, that, that braid. He called it a braid. I thought that was so great. 
I showed him my painting <laughs> of the hideous sun demon. And and he, he was, you know, bless his heart, he was very quick with the critique, as he should be, because he is the king, was the king. Um, and he's like, I painted it, I painted it green. He's like, it's the sun demon. He's red. And I'm like, yeah, that actually kind of makes sense. I didn't piece that together myself. Shit. Oh. Um, but I mean, it's a black and white movie. How the fuck? Am yeah, I, I mean, come on. Um, How but he's like, the, the way I painted it was just like a, a couple of shades of, of green for 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 uh, depth. And he's like, he's like, no, no, there, there there should be purple here and yellow here and blah blah blah. And he's 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 like, you know, he's he's pointing at me. He's like, look at you, you you've got blue here and purple under here. And I'm like, no wonder his paintings are so full of like. Yeah, random ass colors that you would never imagine would be in that picture, but when he does it, it works because he's actually seeing these colors in in a spectrum that nobody else is seeing. That's the perfect way to put it. He sees the colors in a spectrum that nobody else is seeing, and um, translates it for us. And holy shit, there it is! Just a just an incredible town. I'm I feel grateful that I got to meet him as well. Yeah, honestly, just a, a legend. Um. And then you guys do so. You were around for the the two music video shoots. Were you there for those? I was not there. No, those were done like in a weekend. Uh, up, I, I was still living in Virginia. Um, gotcha. At the yeah, ninety seven. I was still living in Virginia, so that was a five hour drive just for me to come up here to, to do anything. So, at that time, by that time, um, John Caffiero has really like taken a more active role in the organization. And I don't know if he's managing the band officially by that time, but he's directing music videos. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't No, I don't think he was management yet because we still had the first guy whose name I can't remember. Then there was Brown Al. And then there was Caffiero. If my knowledge and memory serves me correctly. And, um, how, so Caffiero, was he like he he had been a filmmaker before he had shot these videos? Yeah, and then yeah, he, and then, the first project he did, the first thing he ever did with the Misfits was have them appear on uh, Big Money Hustlers, the movie that he was directing right. for um, uh, Insane Clown Posse. Thank you. Yes, which is such a what a weird sort of cool. juxtaposition, Insane Clown Posse with the Misfits. Are, is do Jerry and Doyle and the guys even know who they are at that time, or they're just like, "Hey, it's a movie. We're we, a movie. Cool. we." I think we knew about Insane Clown Posse because one of our our guys on the road, uh, who's still a big big player in the scene, Tim Bunch, was a huge fan of Insane Clown Posse, and I, <laughs> I think he he got it. He got them on all of our radar, so we we knew. Uh, gotcha. Uh, yeah, it, I, it all started because Tim was a, a big wrestling fan too, and he had some Japanese, like a videotape of Japanese hardcore wrestling, uh, like with Terry Funk and, and, uh, and uh, Mick Foley beating each other with, with barbed wire baseball bats and body slamming each other on piles of thumbtacks and just like smashing each other with, with fluorescent bulbs and like all this crazy shit. But it was, it was um, the commentary was by the insane clown posse and it was freaking hilarious they were calling Terry Terry Funk like drunk Terry Flunk, and it, it, was, it was it was really really it was so bad it was genius. Um, so yeah, so Tim got us like pretty steeped in, in insane clown boss. We, we knew what was up. We knew all about fat sweaty Betty. It was a thing. 
And what's interesting too is like, you know, talk about like guys who go independent and sell so many fucking records. Yeah. I don't know when they went independent, but they go independent and whatever that record I'm I'm not I don't know much about the insane clown boss. I just know that they like to go whoop whoop. And um they were you there? Were you there for that shoot as well? The or did you see any of that? The yeah. the insane clown posse shoot. Um, I they, dodged that bullet. They, <laughs> that yeah, but they like they went independent. And they sold a ton yeah. of records. I wonder what would have happened if if the misfits had just fu- if the misfits. I mean, obviously the prize was to go to Geffen or go somewhere mm-hmm. and do it like like professionally. Yeah. But like, imagine if I wonder what would have happened if like jerry was like nah you know what let's do american psycho independently let's just put it out ourselves yeah and see what happens i i wonder yeah. how that would have done man i just I, feel I like think being on a label like geffen gave them gave the resurrected misfits some clout that they wouldn't have had otherwise I, I, that's just my kind of feeling. i'm i'm sure and and that's the way it was in the 90s with record labels however in 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 hindsight hindsight 2020 mm-hmm especially when you think about today, like right now where like music is at right now, the idea of like having an album, like American psycho coming back and like, you know, if it wasn't the nineties and putting out American psycho yourself and then just touring, you know, to support it, that like it, that you just would have made, it could have made an even bigger splash. Ramey is in the house. Uh, Yeah. He's talking about campfire stories. I remember they were, they, they Doyle wanted me to be the guy in campfire stories really yeah but i'm 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 nobody they're like no we we want they, they, did they get mick foley no was mick foley in that they wanted mick foley i don't remember but didn't that come out in 2001 like, talk, talk to tank like he he'd be perfect for it but they, they didn't want to what was the thing that they wanted you for in it the 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 guy i don't even remember the, what the, 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 the bad guy in that. campfire stories like the, the main guy the the guy huh. telling the story. I, I, I'm sorry, I haven't watched the movie. Um, but whoever the main guy is in there, I have it. Back. I just haven't seen it in twenty same, years. Same, I have it. I haven't watched. Haven't I just have room. David Johansson's in it. Yeah, David Johansson's in it as well. Yeah. We, um, we hung out with him in uh, in Spain on a him and him, him and Scarlet were on, our, on a bus, a shuttle bus with us uh, going back to a, a, a festival we were playing over there. Wait, wait. David Johansson and Scarlett Johansson? It was a a three-day festival. The New York Dolls headlined one night. The Misfits headlined the next night. And Iggy Pop headlined the third night. Holy shit. The night that the Dolls played, I think we went and hung out with them. What year was this? And Scarlett were there. Uh, I was the tour manager, so it was post-2003. It would have to be, because the Dolls came back in 2004. I'm going to say it was like 2005 something maybe what a what a triple threat that is man holy yeah. crap i was actually about to ask you two things i want i was uh, two additional things i was gonna ask you mm-hmm. one um uh chud and and jerry they do they actually they did some track for or maybe it was all the misfit maybe it was i got it right they re-recorded i got it right and they put that came out on an iggy pop tribute album okay do you remember anything about that at all going vaguely. down? I and they went. They went to a party 
a release party for it, and Iggy mm-hmm. Pop was there, and Joan Jett was there, and yada yada yada. Joey was there, something like that. That vague, yeah, that vaguely rings a bell. I love it when that happens. When you just like have the ding 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 something you don't think oh, about for, for yeah. literally decades, Never. and then suddenly someone says something and it sparks. It, it makes me think of the um, New York Ranger song. Interesting. Which which I mean, Michael was a huge hockey fan. And I'm pretty sure a Rangers fan. I don't really know hockey, but I'm pretty sure it was a Rangers fan. And there was a recording of him singing, I want to be a New York Ranger. But for some reason, the official version that came out was Capiero singing. Because right. Michael didn't do it. I'm not, I'm not sure. Very strange. Um, before I ask you about the this Halloween two plaque that I did yeah. not even know exists, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. It sounds really interesting. It, it, is. Um, it is. Tell cool. me, tell me about the um, sort of. I don't know if it's like if it ever was. I know that Jerry knew Joey briefly in the seventies at some point, but went like at some point in the nineties, the Misfits and members of the Ramones because the Ramones broke they 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 retired in 96 I don't know if it was even before 96 but the Misfits and members of the Ramones especially Joey and like Marky and you know Edie sometimes like everybody's all started to seem sort of like do stuff together and Arturo eventually became the lighting director and stuff when did you start to see the uh crossover between uh members of the Ramones and the Misfits in the 90s do you remember that we yeah we did a, a show in the city of venue we'd never played before never played again very small place and it was just like a one-off show I, I came up just for that weekend for that one show i remember i was still doing merch wasn't guitar taking it frankie uh frankie cheese was doyle's tech uh at that time um and i it was weird like merch i hardly sold anything that night i just kind of sat there and didn't really do anything it was like the uh the CBGB's benefit show we did. I'm like, why did I even show up? I didn't sell anything at this show. Um, but Joey came out and didn't, did, did he sing? I remember him coming up on stage. Did he sing with the band too? I don't know. I know, I know he was there because I think the independence opened for us and that, that was his, his push. Um, Marky, we first did a tour with Marky Ramon and the intruders. That's how we first got, introduced to Marky and then became really friendly just from touring with him. Um, and then so how how he came on board, I'm not entirely sure, but that, that was where it all started was that, that one tour we did together, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then Dee Dee, we never did anything at all with Johnny. He was he was kind of a hard ass. Like he wouldn't have participated. Dee Dee just, I remember Dee Dee being in our, at a show at, uh, at, at a gig in Berlin at, at SO2, I think is the name of the venue. Yeah, he, I've he been is, there. I've been to okay. that place. Really? No shit. Yeah. Okay. With Blitzkid. Um, yeah. All right. Um, he and his girlfriend or wife, I don't know which she was, they were in, in backstage in the dressing room. They're sitting on the couch and there was a vent on the, like up high on the wall across the, the, the couch from him. Tiny dressing room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he, he was like freaking out. He's like, they're in there. Uh, they're, they're watching me. And I, I know they can see me. We, you know, we got to go. I'm like, Didi, what are you thought? Like, everything's cool, man. Don't worry. It's cool. No, no. I, I know they're in there. They're watching me. I'm like, 
okay, man. It was it was just like a little like it was hard being around him, and there was like a nervous energy that you just you couldn't squelch. Um, but he, I don't think he did anything with us that night. He was just there. The only time I remember him doing anything was uh, we did two nights at the Key Club in L.A., and I was guitar tech at the time, and he came out to do three songs with us. But, you know, but it's Creek Bop, and I want to be like three big hits, all songs. Which, by the way, all, all the the big hit memorable Ramon songs were ones that Didi wrote. He was the one that had that idiot savant sort of disconnect to, to write those hit songs. Um, so he just had three songs to play guitar and sing on, but and there were three songs that he wrote that were all big hits, but he couldn't remember what they were. So I had to write their names really big with a sharpie oh. on a piece of paper and tape it to the back of his guitar so before each song he could look down like lean his guitar out and look down and go this one's called i want to be sedated one two three four and then play the song and i go this one's called blitz creek bop one two three four two nights in a row second night i did the same thing he couldn't remember what three songs they were so he was he was an interesting character well he you know he his brain probably was saturated from a lot of chemicals and you know just a lot of he he i know that he definitely had he had mental uh in mental health um situations and was medicated from those two and you know that stuff definitely jumbles jumbles the brain in various ways you know you're taking this pill and that pill and it just sort of you know sometimes people's personalities like get dulled because of the medication I, I was because a, it keeps a few them years from ago arming themselves yeah a few years ago i was on some some medication that dumbed me down so much that a my my memory wasn't working like it used to be and, and luckily i'm not on those meds now because obviously i'm, I'm pulling back details from decades ago i couldn't do that while on this right. stuff. and two i had nothing to say i'm obviously i'm, I'm sitting here yeah. talking for hours and hours but on that medication, there'd be a, I'd be having a conversation with you know like my my wife, let's say, and and uh, I would listen to what she was saying, and in my in my head, I'd be thinking, you know, I should probably say something just to let her know that I'm you know I'm active, I'm listening, I heard her, but I can't think of anything to say, so I'm I'm just not going to say anything. And I would just I would just sit there quiet, like I had literally nothing to say. Very very unusual, very strange. So yeah, I, I get that. I totally totally get that. You know what, man? It's like, it's just one of those, it's one of those weird things where, you know, like, again, again, hey, just out there, people, not a doctor, not telling you what you should do. Nothing that I say right now should be taken seriously. I'm just commentating on my own experience and from what I've seen from others. I just want to put that out there. Not suggesting that anybody should or should not do these things, but I've definitely been in the vicinity of people who have a desire to want to get off those medications mm-hmm. even though those very medications I'm glad I'm off them. are keep yeah but they're like they're like keeping that person from doing something yeah. really dangerous oh, they, yeah, they, they kept me alive so, when i needed them right. they kept me alive right but but the desire to get off them was it was like a catch 22 because it's like okay i'm safe i'm not hurting myself or i'm not hurting anybody else but at the same time my personality my emotions everything is stifled i'm not who i am so it's like this weird thing where it's like i don't want to hurt myself or other people or like damp be uh, you know whatever you know what i'm trying to say and at the same time like i'm not like i'm a i'm a a shell of a person yeah on this stuff it's like a it's 
It's exactly. a t- it's tough, man. It's so it tough. And it's like, yeah. I don't know what the right answer is. And again, I just want to put it out there. I'm not telling anybody that they should or should not do anything. All I'm saying is that I'm not a doctor and that I've seen that sort of thing. I just want to put that out there. But yeah. Yeah. So, so Johnny and Tommy were the only two that I never worked. I mean, not including like Richie and, and CJ. Right. And Clem Burke or any of those other guys. Um, I think Jimmy Destry was only the only Blondie member I worked. I never met Clem. But uh, yeah, so... I'm kind of glad I didn't work with Johnny because from what I heard, he was kind of like, he, he was the hard ass of the band. Yeah. The, the passenger seat in the van, that was known as the Johnny seat. Right. Nobody was allowed to sit in the passenger right. seat except Johnny. And right. so when Marky came to work with us, it was imperative to him that he sat in the passenger seat. He wanted seat. that seat. And that That was a big <laughs> deal for him. To finally be able to sit in the did job. Jerry get did Jerry didn't give a shit right did he, he care no, none of us we we all like what yeah, that's great Marky like we we were right happy nobody gave a shit but he yeah I, I might have in that van once and actually sat in the seat and, and I, I did I did I I I got I hopped in the seat because I knew he was coming and uh, and he's like come on get out of my seat and I'm like no no I'm sitting here and he he tried to like reach in to grab me but he he jammed his finger on the top of the door or something like ah son and that i would just start laughing at that point i'm like all right all right come on sit down i don't i don't give a shit where i sit i'm just fine. yeah i i, <laughs> I figured um it's just interesting how much overlap there was like not overlap but like that there just was a lot of sort of uh shared bonds in the 90s and in various different ways whether it was jumping on uh, oh, yeah. at each other's shows or whatever and um can you put this to rest this this uh not rumor but like sort of like uh this sort of thing that like after so after chud and and michael left was there was the how serious was the talk of joey and marky coming in as permanent replacements before joey got sick was there was this ever truly entertained or was this just sort of like uh uh like un not serious talk like tell me about that i remember the the night Michael and Ch- the, the night things fell apart. I, I'm not going to point fingers at who left or who did. Right, 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 right. Um, but the night things fell apart was at a show at the House of Blues in Orlando. Right. The next night we played Fort Lauderdale. And Joey Image was from Fort Lauderdale. And he was at that show. And I know Goat was like, he Goat, Goat, amazing drummer, like sticking behind the the, the, the the drum kit and be like, go uh, play uh, Flight of the Bumblebee. Okay, you know. There's like nothing the, the dude couldn't play. Um, but did did Joey come up and mm, did he drum that night? I don't remember. Um, I I believe he did. And there's a recording he, of it. He probably, he probably did a few he songs. Put, they played they played horror business they were in a serious jam mm-hmm. they played horror business era songs and they they needed him i mean they it wasn't just like it wasn't just a guest spot it was like we're in a jam and we need somebody oh hey here's an original member of the misfits right, right. and joey came up and you can hear I've, i have the recording it's quite something okay. else okay um and i don't think i was jo- there you uh, think i remember it like right know. wow um okay ramey says it was seven songs he says they did seven songs off the top of their head okay um joe I'm says joe says that joey did play with them at either cbgb oh or that's right 
at the CBG. I forgot about the CBG. Okay, tell us I, about that. I was that. in the freaking merch closet, so I didn't actually get to see what was happening on the stage. But yeah, that was all the, the CBGB's benefit. That's right. So Joey Image also came up and did, or Joey Ramone. Joey Ramone. Oh, it was I Joey Ramone. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about two Joey's at the same time. Right. Yeah, I was got very confused. You started talking about Joey image. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but no, but this idea that Joey Ramon and Marky Ramon would have taken taken over for uh Michael and Chud, and it literally would have been half and half. Yes, Um, I vaguely remember that being spoken about at that time. And I guess we ended up going the route of what did we do? Goat and Zoli? Was that maybe the- Ramy? If Ramy or Joe could uh, chime in here as well to help fill in this gap, because we're trying to. This is actually we're getting ahead of ourselves, you guys. Yeah, but I yeah. can't. I we cannot. Got guys, guys, come on! The list, the list. No. <laughs> Let's 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 if they answer the answer. Let's move on to the let's move on to this Halloween two plaque so we can okay. knock another one off the list, which is only going to get longer for the next goddamn show because now we're going from ninety nine. We're going to go from nineteen ninety eight and nineteen ninety eight. There's a lot to talk about from nineteen ninety eight all the way. I guess we should go till two thousand one, maybe. Mm. Um, but uh, let's talk about the Halloween two plaque. So. Uh, Saber Inc. was the Misfits resin model kit company. Uh, just like with the Fiend Club, Ken was pretty much the guy in charge of, of that. He and I worked together. He would sculpt. I would paint. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he handled all the mail order stuff. Interesting fact about Misfits mail order. Yeah. Um, I, I live, I say that I live in Vernon, which is where the Misfits were based out of. I'm actually in Glenwood, which used to be called North Vernon, but it eventually got enough uh, uh, population that it got its own zip code and was renamed Glenwood. Um, but I live in the Vernon Valley Lake neighborhood. So it's all it's all Vernon. It's all Vernon Township. Um, so the Fiend Club was P.O. Box 310, I think it was, Vernon, New Jersey, 07462. That was where the mail came into when people would send in, like when I when I wrote into Jerry, "Hey, where's my shit, dude?" I sent the <laughs> PO Box three ten Doyle Fan Club, which rolled over to the Fiend Club. But all of the outgoing mail, because Ken was in charge of the Fiend Club, he actually lived right over the border in in Pine Island, New York. So his closest post office was the Glenwood or quote unquote North Vernon post office, which when I first came up here was just it was literally a, a trailer. In the middle of a field, that's how podunk this area. How quaint, I guess, is a nicer term. Quaint, um, quaint's yeah, good. It's, quaint. it's just so quaint right. um, that all of the newsletters and all of the merchandise that the Fiend Club sold or sent out all went out through the Glenwood Post Office throughout the, through this little tiny trailer in a field. When there was enough money in the state budget uh, in New Jersey for Trenton, the, the capital of New Jersey, to say, okay, we're going to revamp um, one post office. Uh, let's take a look at what post office has the highest outgoing mail per capita. Oh, it's it's clearly Glenwood, New Jersey. Look at those numbers. Glenwood, New Jersey now has a very nice uh, 
well now it's it's been it's been there for a long time at this point uh has a very nice uh post office that actually has a hand scanner you can if you have a p.o box there you can access it 24 hours a day by putting your your hand on this scanner and it like beep, 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 and you put wow. in your code and you go in three o'clock in the morning doesn't matter you get your mail very very nice facility that is all thanks to the misfits team club wow you're really welcome, glenwood you're welcome um, so, but what does that have to do with the Sam Hain with the Halloween two? The, what, so flag? anyway, yeah. So all, all, all the I'm, I'm getting to that, Jeff. I'm getting to that. In, in go, 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 go. Do it. But but first, there were these eggplants, and what happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, 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 so all the saber inks, all the mail order stuff for all the saber models, everything went out through the Glenwood Post Office. So hence the, that that story. So it wasn't just Fiend Club. Um, so, uh, Saber Inc., um, Ken would sculpt, I would paint, and w- different people would do the molds and the, the casting, depending on who was alive. It was originally Sean McLaughlin. May he rest in peace. Uh, I should get a freaking recording and, and play that. Oh, my God. Have a button. Um, yeah. Um, became somebody else after a while. Anyway, uh, so the th- Ken did the Earth AD plaque, sculpted that, came out incredible that was that was like big and kind of thin where the pus head the evil eye plaque was smaller but really thick like this thing was a brick you could knock somebody out with this fucking thing um and then there was the halloween plaque we called it the halloween 2 plaque i'm not sure why but typical plaque i think the border was like little skulls and bones um but the main image was the crimson ghost in a, in a in like kind of like a, a, a relief, uh, so the crimson ghost came out and like there was a there was a full moon and maybe some clouds that were you know kind of raised up, uh, so you knew like you know what to paint where. There was a silhouette of like a dead tree, and maybe some tombstones in the background or something like that. But the crimson ghost's hands came out to you, and in his hands he was holding a, a separate jack o' lantern. Ooh. And so I painted that he brought this to um, Chiller Theater, whatever ye- whatever year the Manimals played Chiller Theater was the 90... year I- 99, 99 or two thousand. Oh, yeah, somewhere somewhere in that that era, because that was the one time I got to see the Manimals, one of the best shows I've ever been to. Great, great band, love those guys. Um, but so I painted this thing up. And it was the Halloween Solely and the other drummer Ren- Renfield. Whoa. Wait, save it, save it for later. Renfield. Save it for later. Yes. Yes. We'll talk about I want to okay. know. Yeah. We'll talk about it. We'll yeah. talk about it. Uh so I painted up this Halloween too. I did a lot of washes like in in the night sky and then dry brushed the pumpkin with the orange and everything. Did the washes and the crimson ghost's cloak. It looked amazing. But it never went into production. Hmm. I think Saber kind of shut down. And we stopped doing the models at that point. I don't. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe Kenny and Jerry had a fight over. This. I don't. I don't know why, but it just never happened. The Helen Blazes model that's Ken sculpted, and I, I was given a couple of the prototypes to paint up, and I was going to put actual like fishnet on her legs as as her stockings. That never got produced the, the the crimson ghost bust it was supposed to be a 
a little just a bus that like sat on the 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 top of your computer monitor holding a cyclotrode x ray gun kind of thing that's pretty never, cool it never got produced yeah um I'm, <coughs> hold on i'm looking at your list real quick Oh, because we're quick. so close. We're in, at 10 minutes. We're going to end this. We might as well go do round it off to a nice four hours. Sure right? we are, Jeff. Sure. we. Because that's no, that's what's happening. And then we're going to we're going to end this because it's it's a school night, people. It's a school night. It is. Some of us um, have to be like director of sales tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. So what is. All right. So pick between these lightning teenagers, Caroline, uh-huh. Caroline interview. Um, well, we, we covered that. That was that was the thing did? I wrote and mailed in, and they actually wrote it, right? It up and mailed it back. Okay, we got it. that. Yep. You know, Tank, we did a lot of these. You are you you are uh, stressing over nothing. We got we got through so many of these, man. Hmm. I mean, really, truly. Um, what's lightning teenagers? Okay. Um, in 1986, 87, maybe. Um when I was, we were first getting into like really hardcore loving the misfits. Um, my buddy, Steve Lucas, Steve Lucas, once again, uh, he said he'd come over to my house. He'd set up his drum kit in my, my garage. I think he might've kept it set up there over like for a while. Um, his buddy, Matt from, uh, from, uh, school played guitar and I played bass and I had a recording we we would we I recorded lightning that we would play at the beginning before we started playing London Dungeon, but I did that because the recording I had of teenagers, the 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 static age version of teenagers, was on such a bad dub of a dub of a dub of a dub of a right. cassette that there was so much hiss and stuff that when when the tape actually like kind of kicked in, it sounded like. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. and it was actually pretty fucking cool yeah like, like it had it had this on that's why we're like dude we got we got to do that so we thought that's how teenagers started so that's how we started our version of, of london dungeon but that's how bad shit was back then like the copy you got could have been 12th generation you didn't you didn't know there was and fuck there was this one guy that my i think my buddy Stuart lynn cook found him he was another fan from, uh, from Chantilly High School. Um, this guy, like, this was, th- this guy, like, his gig was trading tapes, trading demos, trading live shows for, like, every kind of band, not just Misfits or not just Hardcore or whatever. Like, he, apparently he had a whole wall of cassette tapes in his bedroom that was all, like, rare oddities of, of everything. And supposedly he was talking to Stuart. I think, I'm pretty sure it was Stuart. And he's like, yeah, man, I, I got this. I, he had something that he referred to as the Mercury demos. Hey, buddy. Yeah. Steve, you're still awake. I'm so I'm so sorry. Um, the the Mercury demos. So this guy mm-hmm. had stuff that we we thought we had never heard. Maybe we had never heard. And we were going to work out like he he would only trade with you. Like you had to give him something to get something. Right. One right. of those deals. Um, and we were going to do that. And then he had an electrical fire in his bedroom. Everything gone, everything gone. Wait, the Mercury demos. So would that have that would have been Static Age material, maybe? Because Mercury Records, aka Blank Records. I mean, who knows? Yes, I don't know. Who knows? Um, Ramy Stein here says that January twelfth, 
2001 show was canceled, and that would have been Joey Ramone on vocals, Jerry on bass, Doyle guitar, and Marky on drums canceled due to Joey's ailments kicking up. That would have been the time frame because it was 2000 that the, the things fell apart. Th- yeah. They fell apart they in October of 2000, and then Joey yeah. passed away in April of 2001. Yeah. So that this would have been, you know, before he broke his hip, mm-hmm. but obviously ailing. Yeah. And yeah, dude. I mean, what? I mean, it would have been like half Misfits, half Marones. That would have been insane. We still did half Misfits, half Ramones, just with Marky Drummond and Jerry singing. Right. I mean, I think that's about as good as proof as any. The fact that Joey did used to get up and sing from, you know, every once in a while. And the Mm -hmm. fact that Marky eventually, you know, was drumming for the band kind of says it all that it kind of that that's an alternative. What if sort of thing in that kind of way? Um, we still have five minutes until four hours. Let's pick out another one of these. Uh... Oh, tell me about Doyle. You said Doyle's back used to go out or something. Oh. What happened with Doyle's back? Yeah, yeah. Doyle has, uh, or at least had, I don't know if it still ails him or not, serious back problems, um, like debilitating back problems. Wow. And in the very early days of getting the band back together, uh, Jerry called me or i think he faxed me actually yeah um that doyle's back was out and that the misfits were going to need a new guitarist wait what year was this this would have been like 95 before going back on tour before before things were like again um and i remember telling jerry i was like man i i picked the wrong instrument to learn i became a bass player instead of a guitar player. And Jerry actually said like he and I together would have been like a legendary combo. And I was like, that, that would have been cool. Um, so it was, it was such a thing that I even made a postcard. I remember using like a tombstone graphic and putting on there that, um, the misfits were looking for a new guitarist. And when, Michael's girlfriend, Rachel, first started running the Fiend Club. She was talking to me about some. Don't you just hate it when that happens? I am so sorry, people. And right before we're done, right before we're finishing up, this has to happen. That's the internet saying, all right, your time's up. It really is. What You were talking about, here's what I last heard. You were talking about in 1995, before we got broken up, so in 1995, Doyle's back was so degenerative or bad on some level. Really? Guitar for the band? Okay. Yes. So, yeah, Jerry and I spoke about it on the phone. I mentioned to him, like, man, it kind of sucks that I became a bass player instead of a guitar player. And, and Jerry actually commenting, like, yeah, you and I would have been, like, an epic pairing. Like, wow. That, that was pretty fucking wow. cool. Um, but I actually started working on a postcard that I, I used a, a blank tombstone as the graphic that's saying, you know, like, wanted, you know, guitars for the Misfits or so, whatever it was. And then when, when Michael's girlfriend, Rachel, was first getting the Fiend Club up and running with the database and everything, she was talking to me about a postcard. So I sent her a copy of this thing because it was the last thing I just talked to Jerry about. 
and she was like, "What? What the what, what the fuck are you talking about? What is this? So I'm, we don't need Doyle. Doyle's the guitar. Like, oh, okay. I was just told differently. We, we wanted the postcard for like going on tour or something like that. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just doing what I'm told. So that was um, that was apparently a thing. Wow. I, I think the facts said, hey, 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 John, uh, Doyle's back is out in parentheses. Yeah, right. Uh, listen, I need a, I need you to make a postcard saying we need a new guitarist or something like that. Like, I don't, I don't know if Jerry didn't believe him or he thought he was playing a playing a fast one or, or whatever, whatever the, the dealings was. But uh, apparently he pulled through. But it, it is true. Doyle has had. Very serious uh, back issues. I don't know if it's like I said. I don't know if he's nipped it in the bud and everything's okay now. But back in the day, um, it was a thing. Definitely a thing. That's really interesting. It makes me wonder. Like, <clears throat> you know, I know that you know. I mean, Jerry does have a history of like, you know, if you're not playing ball or like, you know, uh, you're, you know, I need to keep the the wheels moving. Like, okay, I'll just get another guy. I mean, look what happened with Mike Hideous and Michael right. Graves. I wonder if that's a very early version of, of some arguments and, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'll just find another guitar player then if you're not going to, you know, that sort of thing. And then gets dropped just as quickly because of whatever. Oh, Ramey says that he had a surgery. There you go. Oh, yeah. Doyle, yeah, Doyle definitely had surgery. Had, surgery. had procedures and stuff done. And I, I remember just being on the on the tour bus and him having to lay Ugh. on his stomach with like his arm hanging over the side, like something to like relieve the pressure on his back, and yeah, it being a, definitely being a thing. Damn, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And you know what? We're gonna put a pen in our ongoing conversation right there. This is where we leave off. So I know when I play back, I can like a look, and I'll just know that we finished up the year nineteen ninety seven for the most part. And we will be moving into the year 1998, as well as we'll have an even longer list of of Tank's magical memories. That's what we're going to call it, the list of Tank's magical Thanks, memories. We never even got to the whole, the day the teenagers from Mars acetate arrived and the... Uh, the, the oh, uh, my God, we have to talk pain. about... You have and to talk about how you got it signed. That That's a fucking story. Oh, yeah. my God, that's such a good story. Oh, shit. So let's that pick is, up there. We'll pick up there. That's where it's going to be. So we'll start. We continue. Oh, oh, and I want to let's do like a full rundown of like what the Misfits Bible was. Like we didn't actually mm. talk about that, like how it was different from like, you know, the, the email list, how email chains worked and stuff. I mean, it's really sort of interesting early Internet stuff. So I mm. definitely want to check that out. Guys, I'd like to thank Tank so much for being so generous with his time you had to wait a really long time for part two but i think it was <laughs> worth it because we did four hours so you know like it's pretty good i mean if you if you have seven and a half hours to kill you can listen mm. to the first holy crap you can listen to jeff freeze he and... saw spawn with mega dave so you saw spawn you saw Spawn with Megadeth. That's Mega what Dave, it was. We saw Spawn. That's right. <laughs> we saw Spawn. Yep. Kind of incredible. Um, so we'll be back with Tank. We'll, him and I will talk and we will. My schedule will be interesting, but we'll figure We're going to figure it out. I'm going to play my little Patreon thing. Tank, I need you to stay for two extra minutes while this thing uploads to the so server. I'm so sorry. It's just the way it is. And then everybody say thank you to Tank. And again, 
If you like this stuff, please make sure to subscribe to the channel, like this video, leave a comment, buy a coffee, join the Patreon, do any of these things. These help support, buy a t-shirt, all of these things support the uh, the creation of these shows and, and keep this stuff going. What is the Patreon, you might ask? Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. Oh, you're going to find out in two seconds. In the meantime, nice. we say peace Thanks, guys. and hair grease and Patreon. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it gonna be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time, uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. <laughs> so right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee, but it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. <laughs> the YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind the scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just wanna thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates, that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.